Come in. Welcome. I'm E.G. Marshall, mediator between this world of reality and the other world of illusion, although, admittedly, few of us can keep them straight. The road to hell, they say, is paved with good intentions. And uh, you might justifiably ask, how does this happen? Well, the first building blocks are honest and square. But as you travel downward, the light becomes dimmer and the way narrower. And before you know it, that fine line between good and evil is lost in the darkness. And although you begin by reaching for a star, you end up by falling into the pit. Our mystery drama, Party Girl, was written especially for the Mystery Theater by Sam Dan and stars Mason Adams. It is sponsored in part by Anheuser-Busch Incorporated, Brewers of Budweiser, and your Singer Sewing Center. I'll be back shortly with Act One. about to meet two beautiful people. Let us consider the gentleman first. He's just past 35. He's handsome. He's intelligent. He's rich. He's destined to go far. Or so it seems. The young lady is in her 20s. She is slender, blonde, pretty. Indeed, a fit companion for the gentleman. I'm sorry to say that both these people are just slightly inebriated. They are at the gentleman's summer home, actually in his den. He is a sporting gentleman. He has invited her here to look at his spectacular collection of firearms. And why not? Don't artistic gentlemen invite ladies to look at their etching? Well, yes. But who ever heard of anyone being killed by an etching? <laughs> I don't know the first thing about guns. But I bet I recognize the prize. You sure did, Sissy. That's a Belgian 29 caliber Armand de Vizier. <laughs> Armand who? Hey, uh, why do they call you Sweet? Oh, this little revolver is so pretty. I don't know anything about guns. But this is so pretty. Uh, 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 uh don't, don't point it, for goodness sake. <laughs> Even if it isn't loaded, you should never point it. Like a beautiful piece of machinery. Hey, you didn't tell me why your name is Suki. Oh, my father called me Suki. Is, is that so? Uh, why? Well, he had two daughters. He called one Polly, so he could tell her to put the kettle on. And he named me Suki, so he could tell me to take it off. <laughs> <laughs> you're, uh, you're joking, huh? <laughs> oh, Papa. Poor Papa. If he could see what's happened with little Suki, it breaks heart. Oh, don't say that. You're a great little girl. Papa, I'm sorry. Really, I'm sorry. You know what I think... I think you need a drink. Yeah, that's right. I do need a drink. I I never used to drink. Oh, what am I hanging around here for? Oh, the evening's young. We're going to have a lot of laughs. I mean, what am I hanging around on this earth for? Oh, you're a profound one. What am I hanging around on this earth for? Oh, <laughs> Billy. Is your name? Go. Billy? Well, come on. Let, 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 let's join the others. You'll feel better. No. Thank you. Billy, you're awful cute. Mm. But I shouldn't hang around. You know what Papa said? When you wear out your welcome, 
go. Come on, Suki. The night hasn't even started. I'm not welcome in this world anymore. I think I'll leave. And this armor, whatever its name is. Uh, 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 don't, don't do that, <laughs> Suki. You shouldn't even in a joke. Life, Suki, life is, is so precious. You shouldn't just make jokes. Right, Billy? No, there's no use pointing it at yourself, Suki. It, it, it isn't loaded. It, there, you see? Well, if at first you don't succeed, try again. <laughs> I, I told you. Now, now, put the gun down. And again? Now, look, Suki, would you, would you put that down before I take it away from you? And again? Suki. And again? Ah! Suki! 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 Billy! Billy, was, was that a... Oh, my God, yes, it was. Jim. She's dead, Jim. She's dead. Look at her. She's dead. How did it happen, Billy? She was... She, oh, oh, she was fooling with a gun, and, and, and it went off. Just, just like that, Jimmy. You've got to believe me. I want to believe you. I want to believe you in the worst way. Oh, I don't, I don't know. I think she was She was depressed. She she really thought she wanted to kill herself. Why? Well, how would I know why? This was the first time I ever met her. <laughs> Jimmy, we're, we're going to have to call the police. Uh, yeah, no, no, no. Listen, no, no. Just sit. Just sit for a minute. What else can we do? Now, you... You know what happens if we call the police. Well, what do you mean, if we call the police? The press, the media, they'll be all over this thing like a swarm of locusts. But we, we have to call the police, don't we? You see, uh, uh, Billy, look, what everyone will want to know is, what was she doing here? Oh. Now, we've got to think about this from every angle. Oh, Jim, Jim, what are we going to do? Uh, all right, okay, now, uh, the, the first thing we have to do is to be calm. Calm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, yeah. what time is it now? It's 8 o'clock. Now, uh, uh, oh, you're going to have to come down with a headache, a very bad headache. Oh, Lord, I have got a headache. Right, now, I'll get rid of everybody at the park. No, 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 Jim, we have to call the police. I know, I know, you keep saying that. You but have I, to keep saying that. They all will know that she was here. Jim. No, nobody knows her, nobody's seen her. The two of you got here early and, and uh, and uh, you, uh, you hadn't made your grand appearance yet. Uh, we're covered on that score. Now, what do you mean, covered, Billy? Billy, just let me handle everything. Now, don't you move out of this room. Don't you show your face. Eight, eight o'clock. Uh, we, uh, we can't make it too abrupt. We'll have to let the, let the party run for a couple of hours. Jim, the, Jim. And once we get everybody out of the house, we... What are you doing? Hi there. Hey, how's it coming? Everybody having enough to eat and drink? Ah, right, great. Is uh, Arthur around? Yeah, please. Yeah. Artie, Artie, you've got to come to the den this minute. We have got problems. Who's that? Now, who would it be? Oh. Uh, Billy. Artie took care of everything. Now, first he got everybody out of the house. Diplomatically and tax... Uh, Jim, I've been thinking... You about... don't have to think anymore. All you have to do is forget. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Forget. Well, we got everybody out by 10.30. And then when we were all alone, we arranged the other thing. Jim, don't use weasel words to cover up. Say what you did. You got rid of the body, right? We drove her car back to town. We parked in front of her apartment building. The police will find her in the front seat. Oh, Jim, Jim, this is wrong. Uh, in, in, in politics, you see, right and wrong become a matter of time and place. Uh, the police will think she was robbed and murdered, and, well, that, 
that'll be the end of the matter. The end of the matter. What could we have done? She, she was a foolish girl. It wasn't your fault. It was my fault. Every gun in the collection, I... I'm so careful to make sure that they're empty. But there was a live round in one of the chambers of the arm under the VA. All right, but she was a girl who wanted to see What I'm not facing up to is... is the other thing. What other thing? Why did I bring her here in the first place? Oh, you know why. You need her. And, and, and all the others because you and Cecily are finished. Well, then why don't I divorce Cecily? Because if you do, the career is finished. Oh, the career. It's all the career now, isn't it? Isn't it? It's, it's not even my career. It's the career. It belongs to all of us. It's the way we work for you, the way we just, we, we just put everything out on the line. Yeah, sure. Billy, please. Oh, please, don't throw yourself and all of us away. Will you just let me think for a while, Jim. Just let me think. I uh, hear we had a homicide last night. You uh, got the report, then? You're out, Captain. 25. Name of Suki Prentice. The model. Was, uh... Was she a model, or are you being kind to her? She was found sitting behind the driver's seat in her car, a blue two-door Alliance sedan, mm -hmm. which was parked in front of her apartment building at 334 West Palmer. Shot once in the right temple. 29 caliber bullets. 29 caliber? Hmm. Funny caliber. I wouldn't use the word funny, but I agree. Time of death set at 8 p.m. Body discovered by foot patrolman at 12.18 a.m. Anybody hear anything? Nope. And nobody saw anything. It's a very quiet residential neighborhood. Motive? Apparent motive, robbery. Purse was lying beside her, open and empty. No money inside. Markings on fingers and wrists show evidence of her having worn jewelry. Yeah, so it was a robbery. Well, why do you say apparent motive? How does this one look to you, Captain? Well, I think the report says it. She pulled up in front of her house. Some hood happens by and sticks her up. Maybe she panics or yeah, maybe he's a psycho when he kills her. Mm, but you don't think so, I can tell. All right, what bothers you? The report says she slumped behind the wheel of the car. But the bullet wound is in the right temple. Mm -hmm. Now, it should be in the left temple. What did the killer do? Reach all the way around inside? Well, maybe uh, maybe she turned her head. Well, she'd have to be a contortionist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll spend a while on it. I don't know what you can do besides ring doorbells and ask if anyone saw something. <laughs> it could be a career in itself. Something else bothers me. Where was the cop on the beat? Hello there, Officer Malone. Hello, Sergeant. Malone, how are you as a ticket writer? Oh, depends on the mood I'm in, I guess. Some nights I ticket everything in sight. And then I have nights where I love all my fellow men. I forgive them the little traffic trespasses. And how were you last night? Ah, last night I was a lion raging through the street. Nothing, no one escaped my wrath. Right here in front of 334 West Palmer, the sign says no parking at any time. Oh, that is my favorite spot. I call it the quota corner. There's always someone breaking the law right here. Really? Well, you let someone get away with it last night. Oh, no. There was a convertible parked there between 7 and 10. And he got his. There couldn't have been a convertible parked in front of 334 between 7 and 10. 
What are you telling me? I know who I can. Because at 8 o'clock, a Mitsuki Prentice was shot to death there in her car. And she wasn't spotted till after midnight when your relief man took over. No, no. So the fact is, you didn't even walk this part of the beat for the four hours between 8 and 12. Now, a little bit of cooping on the beat might be okay, but you must have had yourself a slumber party. Sergeant Kravich, I put in a full eight hours. I patrol every square foot of that beat. Not only did you not ticket a car that was illegally parked, but you didn't even notice that a woman was slumped over the wheel dead. Now, you better listen to this, Sergeant. At 7 p.m., I'm in front of 334. Okay? A blue NMC convertible is illegally parked. I ride him up. I pass by once an hour. He's still there at 8, at 9, at 10. At 11. He's gone, and the spot is empty. So I don't know anything about your two-door sedan with a dead dame in it. But that's impossible. Do you want to see my duplicates? Go on down to headquarters. I turned them in this morning. She wasn't killed in front of the house, Captain. She was killed somewhere else. Okay, Ben. That much is obvious. Well, this becomes another kind of crime. It's no longer some hood who spots a mark and moves in. It's something else. What? What it means is a, it's a killing with a with a with a texture. Come on, Ben. Now what are you trying to say? It has a story. It has complications. Somebody had to figure out certain moves. Okay. Why was her body brought back to her house to get it away from the spot where she'd been shot? Far away. Because if we find out where she was killed, we know killed. All right, then you get to work, Ben. I will, after lunch. <laughs> I never knew you to stop for lunch when you were hot on the cake. Well, it's a very special lunch. An old college friend of mine is in town. Has a summer house upstate. Hey, how come you never got rich? Uh, he may be rich, but he's a great guy. You know him. Well, would I know him? Well, you know of him. He's Congressman Bill Anderson, who's probably going to be the next governor of the state. <laughs> have that laid out for you. Bill Anderson and Benny Craddock, two boys who, through an accident of fate, became friends, and through another accident, will become adversaries. Perhaps unconscious adversaries would be more accurate. Well, you make sure you stay conscious, because I shall return in just a few moments with Act Two. was a party girl, and uh, since a term like that can be defined in many ways, you can define it to suit yourself. She really didn't do anything spectacular when she was alive, but now that she's dead, she could just about set the world on fire for so many people. Oh, you haven't changed a bit. Neither of you, Cedric. You're still a golden girl. The golden girl? That was my private nickname for you. <laughs> and all the time, I thought you were my best friend. Now it can be told I was madly in love with Cecil. <laughs> were you? I was madly in love with both of you. And I decided I'd marry the one who asked me first. You know, I can't believe that the three of us are sitting here just the way it used to be so many years ago. Bill? Bill, I read this stuff that Ben wrote, and I think it is sensational. What's he talking about, Billy? Your master's thesis on crime, Ben. Who in his right mind would be interested Well, Ben, I invited you here on business. Well, few men folk are going to talk business. 
Then, now that you know the way, don't be a stranger. Uh, darling, uh, don't forget the concert tonight. Of course not. And, uh, give the old man a kiss before you go? Mm. Uh, hold me for a while. See you soon, I hope, Ben. Now, what is this about business and my master's thesis? Ben, I want you to join me. Join you? Billy has got to be the logical candidate for governor, Benny. Now, he's the fresh, new, dynamic face the people demand. And I want you to do a position paper on crime for me. It's one of the biggest issues. You want me to now, do... you really have something to say. You don't yell, bash their skulls in. On the other hand, you don't insist they're all poor, misunderstood victims of society. Well, I'm flattered. Join me. Take a sabbatical from the department. <sighs> I'm tempted. But I just started a case. Well, couldn't someone else take it over? I wouldn't feel right. Why not? I may be wrong, but I have an idea that unless I push this case, it might get sloughed over. Mm. That tells us something about the police department, doesn't it? Oh, yes. Tells us we're undermanned, overworked, undertrained in things that really matter. So much clamors for attention. So many things keep happening. Oh, what kind of case is it, then? A girl was found murdered last night. Oh? Just a girl. Her name was Suki Prentice. Uh... Yes, I, I I believe I heard it on the news this morning. Wasn't she uh, killed by a hoodlum in front of her house? No, she was not killed in front of her house. She, she wasn't? She couldn't have been. She was shot at 8 p.m. At that exact time, another car was parked in the space. Oh? How how do you know this, Ben? The cop on the beat had ticketed another car for being parked there illegally. Oh. But then, then it's only one murder. Now, what, what Billy is asking you to do is to work on the big picture. I understand. But this girl's entitled to justice. Sure. But is it more important to uh, work on this one single solitary situation or to devote yourself to the entire system? The system is only as important as any individual. Billy's offering you an opportunity to make an impact. This girl needs me. And I I'm the only friend she has in the world. Well, what are you talking about? Did, did you know her? No. But she's dead. And she has become a problem. Everybody wants to be rid of her. She really wasn't very important. Actually, if you want to eliminate euphemisms, she was a prostitute. Why should she use up the money and manpower of the police force? Especially since we have very little real chance of cracking the case anyway. I think you've just stated the reason for dropping the case and coming to work with us, Ben. If we refuse to give this girl justice because it is awkward or difficult or more convenient to work on other things, then there is no justice. Somebody has to be on her side. Man, I really need you. I want to be a part of it, Billy. Just let me wind up this case. Mm. I want us to be in touch. Sure. So we still want to be able to pick your brains, Ben. How about lunch on Friday? Yeah. Yeah, if I'm not held up. What? Well, it was good meeting you, Jim. Mm -hmm. I'll see you, Billy. I think I can find my way out. Jim. Hold it. What are we going to do, Jim? Just, just don't worry, Billy. We're taking care of it. Jim, I've got a conscience, and you've got to learn to live with it. No, I don't think I can live with this. There's the welfare of the whole state, Billy. You're the best qualified man. Now, are you going to throw it away for some dumb little hooker? Don't say that. Come on, we've worked too long and too hard. You are a sensitive guy, and maybe, maybe you need these moments to search your soul. But snap out of it. Let's move onward and upward. What do you mean you don't have the copy of the summons? The officer turned it in yesterday morning. 
Like he told me, so it has to be there. 7 p.m. the 19th. Yeah, in front of a no-parking sign at 334 West Palmer. That ticket has to be there. Well, let me know if it turns up. Hey, Ben. What did you? That summons Patrolman Malone made out for that car that was parked where Suki Prentice should have been. It's gone. It's disappeared. Well, it, uh, it may have been Miss Files. No, it doesn't exist. I've been on the clerk's back for the last three hours. He's gone through every piece of paper now. Well, don't bother you. It has to bother me, Captain. It's part of the case. Yeah, yeah, but it's not your case anymore. What are you talking about? You're off it. Since when? Since the uh, <clears throat> chief inspector said so this morning. Why? Well, I was going over manpower with him. You know, we have got to be more productive. Now, Sergeant Kravick on this party girl thing, he says. No, Ben's too much detective for that. You were signing to the Morrison murder. I think I'm once old. Besides, it's Maxwell's case. Yes, I know, but Maxwell has to go to the hospital for the surgery next week. Something's wrong. What? First, the parking summons. It's gone. <laughs> Who says it's gone? The traffic clerk never saw it. Well, maybe it never existed. Malone says he wrote the ticket. Maybe he feels he had to say it. Are you accusing Malone of... Well, he's an old-timer. He's come up to retirement. Now, look, I know Malone. I like him. Yeah, so do I. But that night, he made you short with the beat. He was hot. He was tired. And then when he found out about the murder, he, he tried to cover himself. You know, made up a story about another parked car. I don't believe it. Yeah, it could have happened. Why am I being taken off? Now, do you want to tell the chief inspector how to run his division? Let me have a couple of more days. Then what has got you glued to this thing? She was young, good-looking, and expensive. The guy she was with must have killed her. Where's your evidence? Because only rich guys, rich and important guys, could afford it. Mm-hmm. It's all theory. And it could be the guy is rich and important enough to apply heat. Are you saying the heat's got to Inspector Dennison to take you off? Uh, it could have been a coincidence, and that traffic ticket could have been lost by accident. Or maybe it was never written in the first place. I got another lead I want to follow up. Let's just see if I run into coincidences there, too. How are things coming on the, uh, the murder case, Ben? I may have a break. She must have been out with some man that night, and he killed her. Is uh, that the latest police theory on the case? It's all I have to go on so far. Well, uh, what's your lead? <laughs> I didn't think you'd be interested in the grubby details of some tawdry little murder. Anyhow, I decided to work on this position paper for you at night. Oh, Ben, that is great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what, what is this, uh... This lead that you have, Ben, I'm fascinated. Well, an informer of mine, or to give him his proper name, a stool pigeon, is going to meet me at about four o'clock, at which time he should be able to tell me who arranged, shall we say, liaisons for Suki Prentice. I see. And that way, I'll know who Suki was with on the night she died. Now, about society's attitudes towards criminals... Uh, oh, look, uh, this is between you two eggheads. I have practical matters to arrange for. It's uh, good seeing you again, Benny. Sure, Jim. Now, what was I telling you, Billy? Yeah? Police. Police, I see, police. Yeah. What's your name? Jojo, what can I do for you? Jojo, I'm looking for Big Margie. She ain't here. So where would I find her? How would I know? Where did you last see her? I don't remember. 
You remember a girl named Suki Prentice? Never heard of her. She's never been in this apartment? No, sir, never. You know what being an accessory to a murder can buy? Oh, yes, sir. So let us make a fresh new beginning, Jojo. You knew Suki? Yeah, she'd come around. I mean, I mean Margie would uh, book jobs for her. And the night she died, did Margie arrange that one? Well, you'd have to ask Margie. Where's Margie? Well, Jojo, you tell me or you'll talk down at headquarters. Uh, what is it now, five o'clock? Well, uh, maybe about uh, half past one. The bell rings. A couple of guys come in, very well-dressed guys, and I figure there were a couple of Johns. You see what I mean? And I, I don't pay them no attention. So? So I'm watching the ball game on TV, and they're talking to Margie, and I hear her say, all that money. And then she comes up to see me, and she says, I'm going away for a while. Here's a couple of bills to keep you out of trouble. And she tosses me 500 bucks. <laughs> and then she pats. I mean, she loads up them suitcases like she's really moving on, and off they go. Did you ask her where? Sure. I says, where you going? And she says, if I told you, you'd know something. These men, did she seem to go with them willingly? Oh, yeah. There was laughs and everything. And when did she say she was coming back? Hey, you want to know something? I don't think she's ever coming back. I said all I needed was one more coincidence, Captain, and I got it. I get a line to somebody who knows where Suki Prentice went that night, and that somebody disappears three hours before I get there. Well, that doesn't have to mean anything. This big Margie, she was bought off. There's heat there. There is real heat. Uh, look, uh, Ben, you've got to take over for Maxwell right away. Now, I told the inspector I'd give you a few more days, and this may blew his lid. I'm staying on the case. Ben, you can't disobey your direct order from upstairs. Captain, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to link it to the press. What are you saying? Why is the department soft-pedaling the Suki Prentice killing? Man, who's turning on the heat? You can't prove it. I don't have to. I'll just let the press run with it. You won't do yourself any good. Look, if I were out to do myself that kind of good, I wouldn't be a cop. Well, okay. Take another day or two. I'll hold the wolves off somehow. Ben, I've turned some of your material over to my speechwriters. They say it is sensational. Glad I can help out, Billy. <laughs> you deserve recognition. Recognition. But paralyzed to many people, you become part of an establishment. Well, I've got to run. Hey, stick around. We'll have a few laughs. Like old times. <laughs> Not the same kind of laugh. Sure. Sure. Yeah. What? How, how about Cecily? Ah, that. That's all over. We just maintain the appearance. What? You and Cecily? Oh, no, I can't believe it. I, I don't want to believe it. Poor Ben. Eternal romantic. You and I and Cecily. You know, we are not college sophomores any longer. Oh, no, I guess not. I'll see you. What's your hurry? I worked to do on that Suki Prentice killing. I, I thought you said you were taking off that. Hey, wait a minute. You can help me, Billy. Help you? Yeah, maybe you can lead me straight to the killer. And he could do it, too. Well, not to the killer, exactly, because we know it wasn't a murder, but certainly to the heart of the problem. Obviously, Billy Anderson is going to be kept in suspense. And... Hopefully, you will be too.
Until I return in just a few moments with Act Three. Right now, save on a Singer machine with Slip and Sew. Slip and Sew, the two-way sewing surface Singer invented, makes it easy for you to sew necklines, collars, and sleeves. Get this Singer machine with the Tamsin cabinet now and save one hundred dollars off the regular price. flavor, yet none of today's additives. It's made only from real cream, milk, pure cane sugar, egg yolks, natural flavor, no artificial anything. You'll see that we haven't lost our taste for old-fashioned elegance. Mr. Louis Sherry's, the natural flavor in the 1970s. Here's Ralph Langer, better known as Mr. I Know Where They Are. Ralph, whatever became of Edwin Laudy, the inventor of the bridge lamp? Oh, yes. Well, he's well in his 90s now, but he still works every day taking chain-link fences apart. A listener would like to know whatever became of a young daredevil named Warner Bromley, who flew a Zeppelin upside down. Ah, uh, yes. He once tried to fly a Zeppelin upside down through the framework of the Eiffel Tower. What's he doing now? He inflates weather balloons for the government. All right, Mr. I know where they are. How about Stuffy Hodgson, Calvin Hoogerman, Jimmy Schwab, Fred Falvey, and Mary Backstage? Oh, they're all to be found in the pages of the new Bob and Ray book, Right If You Get Work, along with Wally Blue, Tippy the Wonder Dog, and many more fascinating characters. That's Right If You Get Work, the best of Bob and Ray, at your bookstore now. Incidentally, Edwin Lowdy claimed he invented the bridge lamp, but he didn't. Well, he's in his 90s now. I don't see any point in reopening that controversy. Right If You Get Work, the new book by Bob and Ray, is available now at Book and Department Stores, published by Random House. Tomorrow morning, listen to Rambling with Gambling, the program with all the degrees. There's Fahrenheit, Celsius, and there are some others, too. Dr. John Gambling here, inviting you to join me and the other doctor, Dr. Bob Harris, along with Peter Roberts, Jack Allen, Harry Hennessy, Henry Gladstone, Walter Spencer, George Meade, Fred Feldman, and the whole crew here in Studio 2 for our daily seminars over WOR Radio from 5 till 10 in the morning. Now, what courses would you like to take? We have music, news, sports, weather, traffic information, a little bit of alleged humor now and again, and just about everything else to start your morning right. That's Rambling with Gambling, daily, 5 till 10 in the morning, here at WOR Radio, the talk of New York. What is the basic difference between a lie and the truth? Well, there must be many, but a significant one would appear to be that a truth can stand firmly on its own. A lie needs constant support and nourishment. You can tell the truth and let it go at that, but a lie will continue to make demands of you for as long as both of you live. 
Ben, how could I possibly help you with this murder case? I should have thought of you at the very beginning. Me? Of course, Billy. You've always been interested in guns, haven't you? Yes. Sure. Now, this girl, Suki Prentice, she was killed by an unusual caliber bullet. She was? Yeah, a twenty-nine caliber. Twenty-nine? I told you it was unusual. Now, who would make a twenty-nine caliber handgun? Who... Have you ever heard of one? Uh, I'm not sure. It's uh, not your ordinary weapon, would you say so? Yes, I, I, I would say so. Uh, hey, Bill, Billy, I hope, I hope I'm not imposing. No, no. Go ahead, if I can help in any way. Now, here's what I know so far. I know that I've got a high-priced party girl. She must have been killed by the guy that she was with. An unusual caliber gun. Probably a custom-made weapon. Expensive, but so what? Her guy is rich. Yeah. You seem to see it so clearly. Well, he has to be very rich, very well-placed. I, I told you about all the heat I'm getting. Ah, I don't want to bother you or bore you with more of this. No, 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 no. no. I'm, I'm fascinated. Uh, how do you plan to move ahead now? Well, I've got a request out for information. Who makes a twenty-nine caliber? And when I get the answer, I may be able to trace the gun. Oh, that's pretty smart. Yeah, it's just routine police work. Well, Billy, I'll see you. You sure you can't stay around, Ben? I can't get over it. Can't get over what? I can't get over you and Cecily. Uh, guess it's just one of those things. I can't be. I'm sure that the no, two of no, we're, we're happy, Ben. We found a way of life that suits us. Yeah. Yeah. Could you, uh, finish the paper for me this week? Is uh, this the detective's room? Yes, sir. May I help you? My name's Mainwaring. Write that down for the record. M-A-I-N-W-A-R-I-N-G. Now, I'm here about that robbery. Oh, well, you want to see a man from the larceny squad. One of them should be in Oh, now, I'm sick of being tossed around from one office to another. You a detective? Yes, but I'm not the one you want. Now, don't hand me the old, this ain't my table routine. My place was robbed the other night. The cop on the beat comes in, takes out his pad, writes something down. I don't know what. And that's the last I hear. Now, what happens now? The larceny squad will handle it. Come back after lunch. I can be put out of business. The law says I have to keep a record of every gun I sell. Oh, what am I blowing off steam at you for? Just steer me toward the right place. Wait a sec. Do you sell guns? T tell me about it. Well, what do I want to waste my time with you for? You just said you're not the right detective. Oh, but maybe I can help you. That's crazy. I got the most exclusive gun shop in the country. I sell mostly to connoisseurs, collectors. Who else can afford me? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, the other night, my place gets broken into. All the guy does is bust open my safe, where all I got is maybe a couple of hundred dollars, and my record book. And that's all he takes. That's all? All around him is maybe a half a million dollars worth of handguns. I mean, I got merchandise there. Lugers, Dumont, Ferrands. None of your commercial junk. Every weapon is custom made. And all this is untouched? All he takes is the couple of dollars and my record book. The book the law says I have to keep on who buys what. Well, now, why would anyone want to steal that book? It beats me. You know what I got in that shop? I got the most expensive revolver ever made. The twenty-nine caliber Armand de Vizier. The what caliber? I'm the only shop in the United States where you can buy it. What caliber? 29. It's a collector's item. You have a record of the people who bought it? That's what I'm trying to tell you. The record is gone. And that's why I can be in a jam. Think. You don't sell such a gun every day. I don't sell one every year. Can you remember any of the people who bought them? 
I uh, must have sold three, all told. A guy named Humboldt, who died some years ago. A guy named uh, Witherspoon, his yacht sunk in the middle of the ocean with all hands. So I guess the gun went with him. And the third, uh, to a dame. A dame? Yeah, a dame. I remember her. She came in, she said she wanted to buy her husband a birthday gift. He was a gun collector. And so, what can you give the man who's got everything? And I said, a twenty-nine caliber Armand de Vizier. And she said, wrap it up. Do you, do you re- recall her name? A good-looking dame, youngish, and, uh, she had a kind of everyday name, uh, Smith, Brown, Jones. Um, Thompson? No, not Thompson. Well, that's close. It ended in a son. Wilson, Watson? No, go higher up in the alphabet. Johnson? No, but it's Scandinavian. Carlson, Benson? Anderson. Anderson? I'm going to have to put together my whole list like that. Hey, detective, are you okay? Yeah, I'm, I'm just fine. May I come in, Cecily? Of course. Put Billy tied up with Jim or Artie or somebody. I wanted to see you. Please. You didn't know. I guess you didn't know till just now. You're the great detective, too. Cecily, I want to ask you something. I don't know the answer. That's a simple question. No, it isn't. I don't know what happened to us. Maybe Billy became too famous too quickly. Maybe he's not the same Billy. Maybe I'm not the same Cecily. Did you ever buy Billy a gun for his birthday? Did I ever buy Billy a gun for his birthday? Why do you ask? Did you? Yes. Do you know why? I thought it would save the marriage. Imagine. A revolt. An instrument of death to keep a marriage. Billy's things that interested him were also of interest to me. And we could discuss them intelligently. Would you remember what kind of gun you bought him? Would I remember? Oh, it was a custom-made twenty-nine caliber Armand de Vissier. That's fine. Cecily! Cecily! Billy, what's the matter? Cecily! You mustn't say another word. Why? Let me tell you why. Don't listen to him. You both have to listen to me. Because you both have a decision to make. A girl named Suki Prentice was murdered some days ago. Oh, I think I read something about it. looked like a robbery. I went to work on it. And I was stymied at every step. Evidence disappeared. Witnesses vanished. But why? It was as if someone very rich, very powerful, with connections everywhere, was applying heat against me. I was even taken off the case. Although that could have been a coincidence. But what does all this have to do with Billy and me? Billy killed her. What? You see, I had discussed the case with Billy. And every time I mentioned a lead, that lead disappeared. Dan, are you sure you're all right? Don't look at me. Look at Billy. Ask Billy here if he's all right. I, I don't understand. You have accused Billy of murder. Where is your evidence, your proof? I don't have any. Dan, this is monstrous. You, our dear friend, the oldest friend we have. Is this what politics can do? Have you been brought off? As of this moment, 
Nothing exists to tie Billy into it. But how long can it last? Now, so far, Billy, you bribed somebody to try. Billy, are you just going to stand there and... You paid off Big Margie. But it got a little more serious with Mainwaring. That called for burglary. Mainwaring. That's what I bought. Uh, you'll have to tell her to deny that. Cecily, are you willing to perjure yourself for Billy? Does that gun I bought have to do... It's the gun that killed Suki Prentice. Oh, I don't believe it. Why don't we find out? Have the gun examined at the police ballistic lab. Or did you get rid of the gun by this time, Billy? Ask him, Cecily. The beautiful twenty-nine caliber Armand de Vizier. Ask him if he still has it. What are you going to tell her, Billy? It's been lost? Stolen? Nope. Ever had such a gun. That really isn't the answer you wanted to hear, is it, Cecily? You didn't ever buy me such a gun. Did you, Cecily? Did you, Cecily? No. I could expect you to do nothing less, Cecily. You love him. But she's the least of your problems, Billy. You bribed somebody at traffic. He's a rotten apple in the barrel. How do you know he won't start becoming more curious? He, he, he doesn't know anything. How about Big Margie? She knows everything. Why should she stay bought? You lay golden eggs. What she knows is worth millions. Or how do you know she won't get loaded one night and shoot her mouth off? Billy, Billy, don't lose your cool. There is no evidence. And now the party's complete. Here's good, true, and faithful Jim. You can't prove a word of this. From now on, Jim will take care of everything. Your hands will never be dirty, Billy. Jim has already gone from bribery to burglary. He can also arrange for murder. And it's all being done for you. Did King Henry II kill Beckett? No. He only said, who will rid me of this meddlesome priest? All of you have enough Jims and Arties. Ben. Billy, I tell you, you are in the clear. Ben. Believe me. What do you want me to believe? I didn't kill her. It's a lie. It's the truth. She killed herself. Really? She was... She was down, you know? And well, do you realize what you are saying, Billy? Yes. Yes, Jim, I'm sorry. Now, maybe her life was getting a little too much for her, but somehow I left the live round in the chamber and... and... and she pulled the trigger. That's the way it happened. Yeah. Ben? Ben, what good will it do to expose this? Don't you understand the state needs him? He is the best Man. He was, a week ago. But he's losing ground every day. Aren't you, Billy? Yes. You want to get out now, Billy, before you have to get in deeper? Will you... Will you come with me, Cecily? Yes. Why don't the three of us go downtown? You... you you're crazy. That's right, Jim. He is. But you have to be crazy. How else can you hope to save your soul? Well, as you might imagine, Bill Anderson retired from public life. There were people who admired him for coming forward. There were people who thought he was stupid for sticking his neck out when he could have gotten away with it. 
There were those who condemned him for being an an adulterer, and those who praised him for not being a hypocrite. What does it prove? You can't please everybody. But I'll be back with some news that should please almost everybody in just a few moments. say history is shaped by inexorable forces that grind their relentless way, despite our best efforts to shape them. There are those who say history is made by unpredictable, random accidents. Suki Prentice, a young lady of the night, she may have changed history. Nothing changes here, though. Seven times each week, we bring you the best in mystery, terror, suspense, and the macabre. Our cast included Mason Adams, Russell Horton, Evie Juster, Earl Hammond, and Dan Ocko. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. Radio Mystery Theater was sponsored in part by Buick Motor Division. This is E.G. Marshall inviting you to return to our mystery theater for another adventure in the macabre. Until next time, pleasant Dreams. Come in. Welcome. I'm E.G. Marshall. In the year 1692, an American town went mad or at least that part of it known as Salem Village, beginning with accusations of ten young girls that a West Indian slave had bewitched them. Hysteria ran like a rabid dog through the village. Within four months, hundreds were arrested and tried, 31 of whom were hanged or burned, and one pressed to death with stones. And the man generally blamed for the hideously bigoted persecution of the innocent and the helpless was a name reviled in our history, Cotton Mather. Our mystery drama, Burn, Witch, Burn, was written especially for the Mystery Theater by Ian Martin and stars Howard Da Silva. It is sponsored in part by Anheuser-Busch Incorporated, Brewers of Budweiser, and Buick Motor Division. I'll be back shortly with Act One. lot of things, like beechwood aging for 100% natural carbonation. That's how the Budweiser people age their beer. Nobody else does it that special way, but then nobody else is brewing the king of beers. I could tell you a lot of other things about Budweiser and why it's the largest selling beer in the world, but it all comes back to the Budweiser taste, and that speaks for itself, loud and clear. Hear it talking? There is no other one. There's only something left. Because the king of beers is bleeding all the rest. When you say Budweiser, you've said it all. Anheuser-Busch, St. Louis.
At the time of the witch hunt, no man in our country was more feared than Cotton Mather. The picture of this dark, imperious, infamous man who led the persecution, who in his perverted zeal and fanatic puritanism saw men, women, and even children condemned on the flimsiest of evidence, who swept down from his Boston pulpit like a scourge, and whose blind conviction in his righteousness in the name of the Lord spread terror like a plague is strangely... Oh, but then I should say no more, for what I was about to say is a large part of this story. Burn, witch! Burn! You should welcome the fires of hell, since he would not repent. The abomination of the body you defiled remains to be purified, while the flesh is consumed and returned to the earth and ashes. While the bones melt and run into the fire, sisters, brothers, let us lift up our voices in prayer. Let the mischief of their own deed fall on their own heads. Let hot burning coals fall on them. Let them be cast into the fire that they never rise again. The righteous also shall give thanks unto thy name, and the just continue in thy sight. Amen. 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 Now let ye all return to your homes and meditate upon the grace of our Heavenly Father, and return tomorrow, so that ye may see the other witch perish as she deserves. The fire has almost burned itself out. Yes, Judge Sewell. And the evil it ringed. Would it not have been more humane to hang her? Humane? Speak you about a witch? This is a pestilence whose deadly poison spreads as relentlessly as the pox itself. <sighs> this witchery business weighs heavy on my soul. Why? The women were both guilty in your mind, were they not? They were so found by a jury. Well then, what choice had you? I don't know. The times are running at such fever. I cannot breast the tide, even if I wanted to. What worries me most is that I cannot see an end to it. Or who will be next cried out against? The truth will ever out. Where the evil lies, the finger will point, and justice shall mete out the rest. <sighs> come, come. I, I must get to the tavern for a flagon of wine to cleanse the taste in my mouth. Who will you join me? Shortly, good judge. For the moment, I think my good offices may be needed by a young member of the cloth who appears to be ill. Know you him? The great hulking fellow in the long coat with a thick cape and the wide-brimmed hat? He is a papist, think you? Nay, nay, but near as bad. An Episcopalian, quite recently here from England. Were it not for his formidable strength and his skill as a blacksmith, he might have fared badly here in Salem Village. Go to the tavern. I shall join you shortly. I would speak with this young man. Do not anger him. He has superhuman strength. I am clothed in the Lord's armor. I have no fear. And I have no intention of angering him. I only want to help him. Have it your way. I shall meet you at the tavern. Shortly. I shall not be long. You appear in trouble, good sir. May I be of help? I can find no help, kind sir, except within myself. And from my God, I pray... The second with the strongest staff to lift you up. I speak as a man of God, as you are, I understand. I pray I still am, or 
can be, after what I have witnessed today. Have a care what you say. It has the reek of blasphemy. There is another kind of blasphemy in theology, sir. The crime of assuming to oneself the rights of God, as the people of this town have done. By trying a witch and burning her? Do you not believe, when the devil has taken possession, that the evil must be purified by fire or destruction of the diseased body and soul? I think there are other ways of casting out the devil. You were at the trial? All through the long horror of it. And you did not find these witches guilty? I found the evidence circumstantial and more than easy to comprehend two ways. I looked upon the face of that sweet young woman and upon the dignity and breathing of the older one, her grandmother, and I could see their innocence. What? Would you claim us wrong in our trial in judgment? Is it because you are not either a true colonist or of the true faith? As to being a colonist, this is my chosen country. I have left England behind me. As to the true faith, my religion is a matter I prefer not to argue. There are many faiths, but most of them lead to God. You are a strange young man. What is your name? Gilbert Caton. And may I ask yours? The Reverend Cotton Mather of Boston. You? If I'd been in my right senses, I would scarcely have passed the time of day with you. What does that mean? Turn around, sir, and look at your handiwork. A few smoldering ashes containing what, what once was the body of another human being. Are you proud of your work? I did not find this woman guilty. That was for the court to decide. I believe in justice as firmly as I do in the threat of Satan. But where the fiend is proven to flourish, he must be stamped out. But where was this fiend and these women? What were they guilty of? I am but recently here from Boston. I am not familiar with all the transcript. But would you question the word of a man such as Sir John Jameson? Does his title give him immunity? The facts do that, Mr. Caton. That these women drew his body from his bed in the night, brought him by occult means to their cottage in the forest, to try to lure him into lechery and original sin with the younger of the two witches. Is Sir John so good a man? Has he led so good a life? Is it not possible? Quiet, sir! You do yourself no service by even thinking such a thought. Have a care with your words, or fingers may go pointing your way. Gad, I'd near given you up, Reverend Cotton. I believe you have the acquaintance of Sir John Jameson? Your servant, sir. The Reverend Cotton Mather. He needs no introduction to me or any man of goodwill. It was an honor to have you with us for the witch burning. You were not here for all the trial, I believe. No, just for the last day. Uh, it was with a heavy heart that I had to bring the charges. But the evidence was monumental. Is it not so, Judge? There was enough of it brought, but I cannot banish the woman's cries from my ears as the fire reached to her. Ah. And the face of the young girl we condemn to die tomorrow has troubled me for nights. Must we then, because of a round cheek and melting eyes, shrink from doing the Lord's bidding? Evil is the way of such a maid, and more to be dreaded than all the hags in Christendom. Strange rumors are afloat regarding her. This woman she called Granny, who was burned this morning, did pray not for her own life, but that the witch maid be saved. An uncanny thing that one witch should desire good to another witch. But if they were kin... Fool! Can you not perceive the work of the devil in this? The witch who died at the stake would have the other saved 
so that her own black spirit could pass into the fair young woman's form, and thus, with double force, the two could continue to wreak havoc on the world. For the sake and peace of the community, she cannot be destroyed too soon. I must go visit the prison. I wish to question her more closely. Question her? About what? The evidence has all been established? The factual evidence I care little for. That is and was the court's business. I wish to find out if she will recant, so that perhaps her soul might be saved. That would be a triumph supreme for me to accomplish in the name of the Lord. Are you not somewhat aged for such a job, my friend Turnkey? <laughs> 81. Going on 82. Just the man for the job. She don't get around me with any of her witches' blandishments. Are we near the cell? Uh, most there, your reverend lordship. But, uh, why? Let us all move as silently as possible. Is there a view hole in the door? Aye, there is. Good. Then I can look in on her and perhaps surprise her in some evil doing. Uh, here it is. I'll open it soft. Can you see the harpy? Yes. Is she weaving some spell? No. She sits on the pallet knitting. Why, she's a frail little thing. Not much more than a child. All part of the enchantery. I was taken in myself. But she has tricks, all tricks, as I learned when she tempted me to ruin. Ah, very well. Jailer, let us go in. As your lordship desires... Hey, my little she-devil, here's two gentlemen of quality to see you. One is of no quality. I know him only too well. The other, I believe I recognize as the Reverend Cotton Mather. You may leave us, jailer, but wait outside. Yes, sir. It is true. I am who you say. And what would you have with me, sir? I have come to pray with you, Luna Clare. And to exhort you to confession. There is no confession. I am no witch. Will you kneel with me in prayer at least, daughter? I cannot, sir. Why not? I am not of your persuasion. Do you believe in God? Oh, yes. Then we have that in common. And can try to pray and wrestle the demon from your bosom. No. You do not wish to be delivered? Obstinate of heart I may be, but... Sir John holds me from prayer. I cannot kneel in company with him. I prithee, Sir John, go outside and stand in the corridor. We shall see if the witch maid, relieved of your presence, will pray. I had hoped to listen on the chance that she should confess, so that I might make some valuable notes. The Lord granted me a ready pen. I shall make my own notes if it be necessary. If you will excuse us, Sir John. You have only to command, Casta, and I to obey. If you should need help of any kind... I shall be just beyond the door. Let us kneel together, my daughter, and pray to God. Minister? Yes? What shall I pray for? My life? That I may be delivered from the burning and death? Your death is already ordained by the court. We pray for you to recant. Your body cannot be saved. The only hope is to find God's mercy on your immortal soul. Ah, 
on the stone-cold floor, the slight figure of the maiden, a girl not yet in her twenties, sways and sags at the harsh dictum of the man beside her. He, Cotton Mather, kneels ramrod straight. His voice rasps as he speaks aloud unending platitudes, devoid of hope. Beside him, the maid prays to herself, the tears running down her pale cheeks. There is talk of God and the right and goodness and light, but not one trace of pity here. I shall return shortly with Act Two. Isn't it nice to know you're free To see the things you want to see To touch the heights you've to reach To know you're all that you can be in the free spirit department, Buick's midsize 1976 Century has a lot going for it. Efficient size, lots of room, neat things like that. But Century offers bonuses. It's a Buick, remember, which says one heck of a lot about how nicely it takes care of you. And Century does something for the sake of practicality that no other American midsize car does. It comes with a V6 engine and a Buick V6 at that. Century, the spirit will move you. Sir John's attitude outside the jail cell is less unconcerned than it seems. He paces only a short stretch of the passageway always within earshot of the endless prayer from the cell. The full-voiced exhortations of the minister he pays little heed to, but he stretches his ear to the fullest for any whisper from the maid. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. You do not even say amen. I beg your worship's pardon, but I am not familiar with your prayers, and... I do not understand the God you pray to. You refuse to recant? How can I recant? I'm innocent. I beg of you, sir, to listen to what I was not allowed to say in court, and you will understand that neither Granny nor I had... Sir John? Aye, Reverend Mother. You may return. I uh, request your favor, sir, but I believe I heard that your prayers had ended. Mine, sir. The witch-maid was not moved to pray. I suspected as much. Tell me, daughter, what you were about to reveal as Sir John came in. Oh, I... With him here, it's difficult, Minister. And tell her, it's on our witch. <laughs> tell him about Giles Corey, the old yeoman who saw you conversing with Satan in the forest near your house. If it was Satan that I was in converse with that night, then he was in your shape. And well, your lordship knows, the old man was frightened by your threats into lying and saying it was a black fiend, which you might as well be, seeing your purpose there. Silence, woman. 
I was not there, could not have been, since all my household has testified that I was safe at home in bed and asleep. And if one lies, all lie to save their skin. For surely they are more afraid of your power than the devil's. Maid, you go too far. Have a care with your tongue. Hear me, mistress, I threaten you this. If you do not confess your unholy wickedness, you shall not be even accorded the mercy of being hanged. Instead, you will be burned alive. <laughs> or perhaps, or perhaps, hand and feet tied together. We shall lay you on the ground, while the villagers shall come and heap stones upon stones until the life is driven out of your body and you are pressed to death. Oh, no, merciful God, please. And I, I, whom you have afflicted, shall count each one as it falls. I shall myself drop the first stone, and I... When that first stone strikes me, God in his mercy will take me to himself. You can count the stones the others throw, but I shall never know how fast they fall. Now let us use all zeal to our ends, but let us deal in compassion as far as it is compatible with justice. To do any living thing unwarranted torture is a reflection on our manhood. One last word. Will you confess at last that you are a witch? I cannot confess. What is not true? <sighs> Come then, Sir John. Let us leave her to ready herself for death. Ah, this November wind whistles through the bones. It will snow soon. I welcome the walk and the wind to blow some cobwebs from my mind. You are troubled by something? This affair savors ill. Her last cry awoke strange feelings, and my heart turned within me. You are a man of God and compassion, but have a care. Her powers of enchantment are strong and wicked. If only I could have reached her. No one can do that. Perhaps. Perhaps not. You intend to return to question the girl again? No, let her rest in what peace she can find in the little life left to her to lead. Ah. Are you then for your room as soon as we reach the inn? No. I have an errand I must pursue. I have my coach at the inn yard. I should be honored to take you anywhere you desire. Thank you. But I prefer to travel on this one by myself. Master Mather, what brings you here? I wish to ask you a question, Master Caton. Will you enter? No, thank you. I've not even hitched my horse. I have other riding to do. Then ask your question. Were you aware that the witch maid who is to die is an Episcopalian? Yes, I was aware. Then that prompts others. Why did you not go to her to bring her comfort or to help her cleanse her soul? I would have gone to bring her comfort, but they barred me from entering the prison. If I arrange it so you can enter, will you go to her? With all my heart. Why do you extend her this comfort, convinced as you are that she is a witch? I have failed to bring her comfort myself or release from bondage. Perhaps because we are of different denominations, that is of no matter. I shall ride now to the prison and have all preparations made that you may visit her this evening. It wants but an hour until dark. Wait one hour beyond that to make sure you will be passed in. May God go with you. Yeah, all these comings and goings, 
over a little snip of a girl whose heels might as well be dancing in the wind and snow already. It sounds as though you were already celebrating the spectacle. Well, a man has little enough to amuse him with winter upon us. Here, when you come out, do you lock up tight behind you? Bring me the key in the common room. It's too cold to wait upon you priests and your eternal preaching in these freezing halls. In you go. You, a witch, visitor, I see you. Who? Who is it? Give me the torch, turnkey. Well, how, how am I to find my way back to the common room? Tis known ground for you. Feel your way, if not else. Uh, how could I, a stranger, find my way without light? Lord of mercy. Well, hold it then a moment till I find my way to the stairs. Go then, and hurry. Have no fear. The cold will move even my old bones like the young. And so. Are you... Are you... Come to torture me? Hi. Look at me in the torchlight. Can you not recognize I am of the clergy? God be with you. I am of your persuasion. Oh, at least God has answered one of my prayers. Oh, my daughter, do not crouch on the floor. Come to me so that I may comfort you. I, I want to, Father, but this chain about my leg... My poor feathered bird. Rest where you are as I come to you. Oh, my dear Lord. Lord. You are frozen with cold. And you are warm. A moment. Let me let me brace the torch here in the sconce. Now, my heavy cape off and let me wind it about you. Oh, let me touch your hand. Let me feel once again some human warmth. Let us sit on the pallet and I will hold you in my arms with a cloak about us. Oh, you're warm. And you've brought light and companionship. How can they call so sweet a creature of God a witch? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm only a maid. I'm so scared. And are you really an Episcopalian priest? Ordained in England at Healy. I come here for new worlds to conquer and to help tame a savage land. To make my life, my home, my family someday. Mm. Cold welcome you'd get from the Puritan. <laughs> They're not all so bad as they are sometimes painted. And I am young enough to wait out their welcome. How could... How could they have condemned you as a witch? I don't know. First they said Granny was a witch. And I lived with her. Did your grandmother practice magic arts? Well, she knew about herbs that helped to heal. And she could make poultices that drew out pain. And salves that she rubbed in with her hands that brought relief to others. Is that wicked? I cannot see why. Who taught her these things? She learned them long ago from a nurse she had, who learned them from a gypsy. My grandparents were very rich, with a large estate. But the Indians attacked them, and killed my mother and father and, and everyone. And only Granny and I were left. And she was always a little queer after that. I mean, she wouldn't live in a town, only in the country. She was very good to me, and... And we were happy enough until Joseph, the, the one servant that we had left, died. How long ago was that? Um, a few years. I, I, I don't remember exactly now. We buried Joseph and then... Granny said we must leave the house and start walking to the coast. 
Why to the coast? To take a boat for England. To my uncle. And we never did reach the boat. We stopped in a little house in the woods near here, and Granny was ill for a long time, and the rent was not cheap. At last the money was gone. And then Granny made some money with her healing. And she was also a, a midwife until... The... I, I was at the trial. I know that testimony. Someone had a child born that was not not quite right. Yes, Sir John Jameson's daughter. That's what started it all. From them. No, first, first tell me one more thing. You mean from Sir John? Yes, he is the devil himself. You paid him rent all these years as you grew into a beautiful woman? Yes. And, and then you had no money? He, he threatened to throw you out unless... He, he talked of being possessed by the devil. He, he was the one who wanted to, to possess me. He was the devil. And you were willing to be possessed? And, and, and when the child, when that awful thing happened, he said that he would point to Granny as a witch, and me too. He came to the house that awful night. I told him I'd kill him and then myself if he tried to touch me. Oh, my poor child. Oh, please, please. I don't want to be burned. Can't you save me somehow? Save me your, somehow. Your soul? I, I do not believe that needs saving. No, no. Me. My body. Or if you can't, kill me here with your own hand. I do not fear death. I have nothing to live for. I fear only torture. Save you. Don't. Save you if, if it were possible. But for what? Afterwards, to, to be hunted, pursued, retaken? Then kill me! No, no, never! Now, now that I have, I have found you... Father, please... No, hush, hush, little one. Not father, not to you. Gil. Gil. And I am Luna. <laughs> Luna. Now... You will swear to do everything I tell you. You think there is a way? There is hope. There is always hope. And I think, I think there is a way. Yes, I think there is a way if only God will smile on us. A man and a maid. And under the most harrowing and desperate of conditions... From the blackness of adversity, nurtured by the strength of their faith, the first seeds of love are planted in both hearts. But can this compassionate and tortured young man free this ill-starred maid? And even having done so, where can they find safety or sanctuary? I'll return shortly with Act Three. Mr. John Schmidlap at the Midtown Bank. Hi. About the check you wrote to the uh, Lincoln Savings Bank for 5712. Yes, sir. 
I'm afraid you have insufficient funds Insufficient to... funds? There was exactly $57.12. Yes, but you know, there's a $2 a monthly charge when your balance is below $500. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've been paying it for years. That's why I'm switching to the Lincoln. See, they don't require any minimum balance. We can give you a special low balance account with us for only $0.10 cents a check. Look, I'm really sorry about this, Mr. Schmidlap, but at the Lincoln, I can write all the payment orders I like, free. I'll send you one for the $2. Payment orders? Yeah, just the same as your checks, my name on them and everything, but at the Lincoln, they're free. And money I don't need for bills stays in my savings account, earning maximum interest. Oh, you have to keep a big balance in a savings account. <laughs> nope. No minimum balance in my savings account, either. Hey, Mr. Schmidlap, why don't you check it out for yourself? Their number is 782 the Lincoln Savings Bank, member FDIC. Let's hear it from Martin Payne! We've got decorative lumber, lighting fixtures galore. We've got tiles and bulbs and brushes. We've got covering for the floor. Rollers, paints, and spackles, wall covering till you'll faint. Martin's Home Decorating Sanders, it ain't just paint. You can still decorate in time for the holidays and save. Today through Saturday, it's Martin's Half Price Paint Sale. Pay only half price for a special selection of Martin's wall paints, ceiling paints, porch and deck paints, kitchen and bathroom enamels, all at half price. Buy Goodyear self-stick floor tiles, 45 cents each tile, in-stock pre-pasted wallpapers, 50% off regular prices. Cushion soft bathroom seats, only $9.99 each. We've got decorative lumber, lighting fixtures galore. We've got tiles and bulbs and brushes, we've got covering for the floor. Rollers, paints and spackles, wall covering till you'll faint. Barton's Home Decorating Centers, it ain't just paint. What do you give someone special for Christmas? New Year's Eve. A fantastic overnight 24-hour New Year's Eve party for two at the elegant St. Moritz Hotel on fashionable Central Park South in New York. Just about the perfect Christmas gift at a rare price of $65 per couple. Now listen to what you'll give. A deluxe double room starting the afternoon of the 31st. Dinner in the delightful Café de la Paix with a full bottle of iced champagne. Piano entertainment. Hats, horns, a sparkling celebration in bubbly St. Moritzy style. And New Year's morning, continental breakfast at Rumpelmeyer's, one of New York's most delectable traditions, or breakfast in bed. And 3 p.m. checkout New Year's Day. Just $65, all taxes and tips included. Make arrangements today by telephone to give and get the Christmas gift of the year. New Year's Eve overnight party at the St. Moritz. Call PL5-5800, that's PL5-5800. Ask for Miss Park. In the dim, dank, freezing cell, Gil Caton stands with the torch held on high, his eyes searching, his mind racing, a wild plan formulating in his mind. Frustrated at the very outset by the leg iron which binds Luna to the wall, she sits huddled in the blessed warmth of the heavy cloak, watching this man who has become the center of her universe, secure in her heart that he will find a way to save her. The first problem is the leg iron. Once once I get you to my house, I, I have forge and anvil and, and tools to cut it away. The wall. The wall is the only hope. But the ring is buried in the masonry. Oh, not quite. In the mortar. Now, between the stones. Now, here, hold the torch. I can I, I can brace my feet against the wall. And pull it out. 
The Lord must have had some reason to bless me with this extra strength. Sweat is starting from your brow. God, no matter. If this ring starts from the wall once more. Oh, oh get out. You pulled it out. That's more than human strength could do. Never underestimate the power of prayer. Now, now listen to me, Luna. Yes? You must trust me to the uttermost. Now, let me lift you and see how heavy you are. A feather. It can be done. What can be done? Now, I'm going to put you on my back and carry you out of the prison beneath my cassock. Oh, I see. And, and I'll be very still. Forgive me now, but you must take off your frock. My frock? You must arrange it in the corner with a, a stuffing of straw to look like you. Oh, of course. I'll do that. While I take off my sash and cassock. Oh, if I can just arrange it so they'll believe it to be me, it might give us more time. Oh, what is it? What have you done? Oh, I just slipped my cassock all the way from below the waist to the neck bend to, to make room for you. How clever you are. Adversity sharpens the brain. Now, now, quick. Now, climb on the stool. So, now, arms around my neck. Yes. First, now, the cassock. Help me slip it over our heads. Oh, that's fine. Fine. Room for us both. Now, to help support you, I, I bind my sash tight around us both. Oh, too tight? Can you breathe? Mm-hmm. Right. Now, I must lock the cell door. There. I must douse the torch. The more we are in darkness, the safer we are. I trust in you and your strength and your belief. And in the Almighty. Oh, jailer! Jailer! Oh! God! Tanky! What to do? Is it the pasta? Where's your light? The witch has blown it out and left me in the darkness. I had to lock her back in the cell against the danger to us all. Damn me if I'll come down again in this blackness. You say you locked the cell? Is she secure? As secure as she can be. Well, then, find your own way up in the shadows to the prison door. The light there is poor. It's just what I wanted. Now, if you ever prayed, my little one, pray now. Freedom is just a few short steps away. Ah, whither away so late in the evening, Master Matter? You still at the inn, Sir John? I should have thought you were ridden home by now. I, uh, I had some business on my mind. I should have thought you might be abed. I've been in my chambers reading the transcript of the trial which my friend Judge Sewell was kind enough to make available to me. Why would you wish to read all that? The thing is fait accompli. There are some questions I would ask the maid, and I I feel in duty bound to make some last attempt to see if she has repented. Then you go to the prison? This moment. I shall be glad to drive you there. No. No, I ride there myself. Nor do I think you should go near her again. For some reason, you inhibit her. As you say. But the visit is useless. By law, the die is cast, and she will hang or burn tomorrow. I have no power to free her body. I still may have hope to free her soul and bring her comfort. Good night, sir. I 
Are you all right? Do you want rest? I can get that. Hush, hush. Of all the luck. If I can just make the shadow of the tree. Brother Cape, is it not? Oh, why, yes. Yes, Master Mather. I thought I recognized that giant bulk, even in the shadows. By Harry, you seem even larger than I remembered. Oh, just the, the bulk of my cape. Are you from the prison? Why, yes. Did you see the maid? Yes. Did she recant? No, sir. She will never recant. Because she is innocent. A matter of opinion, we shall see. You are bound for the prison. I am. I, uh, I beg you in the name of him we worship in our own ways to disturb this wretched girl no further. She is mercifully asleep now. Leave her the last few hours in peace in the name of compassion and humanity. I had certain questions for her, but if... But let God ask them when, when she is sent to face him tomorrow. Well, we shall see. If she be asleep, perhaps I will not wake her. Good night, Master Caton. Oh, what misfortune... Hold fast. We must make all haste now and hope all is not lost. Oh! Oh! Oh, forgive me. It's just that time may be so important. Oh, any hurt is worth being free. Strike away. Try the file now. And once my fetters are off, what then, Gil? Oh, I don't know. The hue and cry will be raised all over this bloody town. We've just gone mad. I have no horse to give you. I had hopes, perhaps, by boat. But I have neither money nor contact to see you safe away. It must be on foot. But, but be of good faith. Somehow the Lord will provide. How can I ever thank you with all that I feel in my heart? Oh, just let me see that smile break across your lovely face and it will be thanks enough. Strange way to meet the man I dreamed of. Hush. You're almost through. I cannot eat more. You must eat as much as possible. You can carry a little with you. We must find you some clothes to wear. What? Good Lord, not so soon. Don't let them take me. In, into the bedroom, quick. Now, if I cannot turn them back, I can hold them back. Now, take my cape. It has what money I have in the pockets. Now, go by the window and, and try to make for Providence. There's an Episcopalian church there where you will be safe. I will not go without you. You must, you must save yourself. Oh, my place is at your side. I'll never love any other man but you. Nor I. Now, go to quickly to the bedroom. Perhaps, perhaps God is with us yet. I'll be listening and praying. Oh, forgive my tardiness, but I was at my devotions, sir. You will pardon my intrusion, I hope. Do I speak to Mr. Gilbert Caton, the parson, here? You do? Uh, dare I beg a few minutes of your valuable time, sir? I am trying to trace my mother and my young niece. My name is Clare, Leonard Clare of Clare Hall, County Devon. My father had a large estate west of here, which was attacked by Indians. All of my family were killed, save my mother and niece, who, I am told, escaped. Since I arrived but lately in this country, I have only now, with tolerable certainty, traced them to this district. Uh, the town authorities claimed no knowledge of them, but since they were of the Episcopal faith, deemed that you might know something. Come in, sir. Come out of the cold. Thank you. Thank you. You have horses. 
Your horses and the coach, yes. Well, then you must fly this minute. Huh? Fly? The people of Salem burned your mother as a witch. Huh? I saw her burn. Huh? Outside there, in the market. Oh, good Lord. They have fixed the burning of your niece for tomorrow. There is to be a holiday, so the folks may revel in the sight. To burn my niece, Luna? And you have the temerity to ask Leonard Clare to fly? With her. Luna! Oh, heaven be praised. Oh, Uncle, Uncle Leonard. Luna, Luna, my baby. Ah, my brother's baby. Oh. What have they done to you? Nothing yet that can't be repaired. But there is no time. Oh, not now. Master Mather. Do not be alarmed. I come here in amity, not in enmity. You? I shall explain in a moment. May I meet the gentleman before I speak? This is Luna's uncle, Leonard Clare of Clare Hall, Devon, now of the colonies. And I promise you, a man of resources, a man well able to afford to fight the persecution of this town and its shame, and all your power and evilness. I would advise you not to try, sir. No, hear me out. As to my motives, my honesty, my devotion to the God I believe in, and my determination to wipe out witchcraft, I will not bandy words. I do what I believe to be right. And let history be the judge. Your name will go down in it as a stench in the nostrils of any humane man. So be it. I follow where I am called. Tonight, profoundly troubled after rereading the transcript of this child's trial and her grandmother's, perforce I could come to only one conclusion. A tragic miscarriage of justice had already been done. Another was about to occur. I went to prison determined to free the maid myself and to offer her my protection against the wild riot which would follow on her release. That was when we met you on the road. Yes, sir. You tried to put me off. I can see why now, but God directed my footsteps there. I must tell you that her absence had been discovered before I even arrived, and that the mob is gathering. All the roads out of this town will be closed to everyone. They cannot stop me. They will, unless you have safe conduct. I suggest you get your niece into the coach post-haste, and yourself draw the curtains... And I'll conduct you and your men through the mob. I will not go without you. The least I owe you for saving Luna's life. You had best join them, Master Caton. When that drunken jailer wakes up to remember you saw her last, you'll be torn limb from limb. It is a good bargain, a life for a life. Ah, and you, sir? I have no fear for mine. And I have much work to do. For all his title and position, Sir John Jameson must be brought to book for his crime against you and yours. I shall see that he is. And perhaps I may need one small breath of perfume to dilute that stench my name is to leave in history. While the account you have heard is a fictional one, it is a somewhat sad thing that Cotton Mather is painted as black as he is. Even in his obsession against witchcraft, he was a scrupulous defender of all he thought unjustly accused. He was a scholar, in some sense a scientist, and for all he was a fanatic, it was without thought of personal gain. He was also a family man, and perhaps would have allowed himself one frosty smile of pleasure at the outcome of this whole affair. I shall return shortly. The madness at Salem was of short duration. 
and the good people of that unfortunate town soon returned to their senses. Gil Caton and his wife Luna did not return, mostly because of tragic memories, but also because the first of a long line of little Catons was well on its way. They were married in Rhode Island, one of the colonies most noted for its freedom of thought, and lived out a long and happy life together, nurturing their own children and that other larger group of children, the congregation of Pastor Gil Caton's church, which flourished in all good things, temporal as well as sacred. And so, amen. Our cast included Howard Da Silva, Marion Seldes, Kurt Peterson, William Redfield, and Court Benson. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. Radio Mystery Theater was sponsored in part by Buick Motor Division and Anheuser-Busch Incorporated, Brewers of Budweiser. This is E.G. Marshall inviting you to return to our mystery theater for another adventure in the macabre. Until next time, pleasant dreams. Marshall. Ancient civilizations are remembered for a variety of reasons. Egypt for her pyramids, the grandeur that was Rome, the glory that was Greece. But how about our own civilization? Sometimes in my darker moments, I wonder if perhaps ours won't be remembered as the creators of the sleeping pill the little pellets that have brought surcease from care to so many, and, unfortunately, death to so many others. <laughs> All this he needs is a good cameraman, and we could make a film. Please, Jenny, control your sense of humor. And here, take this pill. I never take pills. It is just to help you through the final rite, the making of the mark of the Valpurgis Club. That way... I promise, you won't even feel the heat of the branding iron. Our mystery drama, Woman from Hell, was written especially for the Mystery Theater by Murray Burnett and stars Joan Lovejoy. Suicides always rate a few lines of newsprint. But every newspaper headlined the shocking and totally unexpected death of the legendary superstar Jennifer Grinnell from an overdose of sleeping pills. The question on everyone's mind was, had this fantastic woman taken her own life? In Los Angeles, the medical examiner's office was off limits to reporters seeking the answer. One man, however, had been admitted, given a report, 
And now he walks slowly down the long corridor, out of the building, and into the bright California sunshine. Mr. Ducot! Uh, Mr. Ducot! I have nothing to add to what I've already said. Now, you've got me wrong. Uh, I'm not a reporter. Uh, here's my card. Darrell Jones, private investigator. I have no need for a private detective. But I need you. You see, someone's hired me to look into this death. Then I'm not the only one who feels there's something very strange about this so-called suicide? You can say my client has some doubts. And who's your client? Oh, come on, Mr. Decoe. You know that information must be confidential. Good day, Mr. Jones. Uh, no, uh, wait a minute. Uh, where are you going? To my car. It's in the parking lot. Okay, if that's the way you want to play it. Uh, have you ever thought how much better your chances are of proving your wife didn't commit suicide if you had some professional help? That was my introduction to Mr. Durrell Jones. Other introductions are in order. My name is Lawrence Ducot, the man who accompanied Jennifer Grinnell through life. Her only husband. But a husband who remained so discreetly in the background throughout her flamboyant career that only her intimates knew she was married. Nevertheless, I loved her, and I could not allow the world to believe she'd taken the coward's way out. And so I found myself in a quiet restaurant, drinking coffee with Durrell Jones. Uh, I'd like to know why you're so sure that Jennifer Grinnell didn't commit suicide. I should know. I was married to her. We lived apart, but we kept in touch. Oh, give it up, Duco. You're never going to make anyone believe you and Grinnell had a close relationship. I was under the impression you were going to be of some help. But you're just the same as the police. I don't know why you bothered to ask me to talk. Because I'm getting paid to do a job, and you've made a lot of waves by going around insisting she never would have killed herself. I'm no expert, but don't most suicides leave a note? Eh, not all of them, but more do than don't. There was no note. A point. But not conclusive. Do you believe in extrasensory perception? <laughs> now, there's something that would look great in my report. No hard evidence, but husband says that his ESP tells him Grinnell was murdered. How about a tape recording? You have a tape proving she was murdered? No, not exactly, but if you want to come out to my house, I think you'll find it interesting. Okay, where's the tape? Let me explain. I can't afford servants, so I had this telephone answering tape installed. And since Jenny and I spoke frequently, I've kept a tape recording of every phone call. Very clear. Ten days ago, I called her. Here's the call. Here are her words. Hello? It's me, Jenny. Oh, Larry. I'm so glad you you're in trouble, aren't you? Yes. Money? Oh, worse. Can I help? I was just writing a letter to you. You can tell me about it. Oh, no. No, not over the phone. You're frightened. Now, what is it, Jenny? <sighs> the one secret I ever kept from you, my pet. Well, tell me. Uh, the letter I have just written to you, it should explain enough. Goodbye, love. You were so sweet to call. Jenny, don't hang up. Jenny... Now that you've heard that conversation, what do you think? I can understand why the police weren't interested. You don't believe that she was frightened? Sure. But of what? She didn't mention anything specific. Uh, if the police and the medical examiner say that Grinnell killed herself, I'm not about to argue with them. Well, then, why did you take the case? <laughs> That's the way I earned my living. 
A client asks me to look into something, I look into it. That's why I'm here. But I'm not on anybody's side, and I don't like to make myself look like a fool, especially in front of the cops. I see. Now, she said something about a letter she was writing you. Did you ever get it? No, she must have had second thoughts after she talked to me. I never received the letter. It was a lie. I had received the letter, but I felt that it would have been useless to show it. His mind seemed to be made up, and so was mine. Jenny had said one secret she never told me. Because I felt that Jenny's secret lay in her past, I went to the man with whom she'd had her longest and closest relationship, the spectacularly successful novelist, Bruce Brown. He was working at his latest retreat, a remotely situated house on the Greek island of Samos. You hear about our girl? How can I help? Well, first by telling me whether you think she committed suicide. Hell no. That's why I hired a private detective by the name of Durrell Jones. That's my boy. Has he been in touch? Yes, he has. Hmm? And? He thinks she did it. Does that make you change your mind? Well, it bothers me. Jones is good. Who would want Jenny dead? Bruce, she was scared. Scared? Our Jenny scared. Our Jenny. Hey, <laughs> look, do I catch a whiff of jealousy after all these years? Come on, shall we stick to the subject? Right after I tell you something. If you don't mind, Bruce, I think I... It'll only take a minute. Now, you know when I first met Jenny, and you know how I fell for her. But what you don't know is that I proposed to her. You know what she said? Not only what she said, but how she said it. She told you? She didn't have to. I know the routine. She opened those... Violet eyes wide, and in her best ingenue voice said, But I am married. Yeah, well, what you don't know is that I asked her to get a divorce. She refused. <laughs> Welcome to the club. You say she was scared. What was scaring her? I received this letter, postmarked the day of her death. Shall I read it to you? No, no. Yeah, let me. Dear heart, there is no way you will make any sense out of this letter. But I do not see any other way. If one week after you receive this craziness, I am still alive, you will destroy it and forget it. If something should happen to me, then you will make your own decision. Yes, I am afraid. Of what? Of a mistake I made back in the days of innocence. I never told you. But now it has come back to haunt me. But I also have another secret. I kept a diary. A diary? Jenny, a diary like any schoolgirl. I don't believe that. She's putting you on. Now finish the letter and then we'll talk. I have written both too much and not enough. But for your own dear sake, I warn you. Trust no one, no one, at you, Jenny. Well, what do you think? I think if this letter had been written by anyone but Jenny, I'd say it was a woman who was going insane. But with Jenny, well, there's no question she was scared. And fear, well, fear is just the wrong emotion to associate with Jenny. If we think that way, we're not going to get anywhere. Well, what do we want to get? I want to get whoever killed her. You think we can? 
She has the answer in her diary. You know where it is? I have an idea. Excuse me a moment. Yeah? Now, uh, Bruce, this is Jones. Yes, yes, Jones. You got something on the Grinnell case? Look, I'm calling to tell you that there is no case. The dame took an overdose of sleeping pills, period. There wouldn't have been any talk at all if it weren't for her husband. He made news just by turning up. Very few people knew that she was still married to him. Well, did you talk to him? Oh, sure. I even listened to a tape of a phone conversation he had with her, but that just proved she was upset. Larry, did you show Jones the letter? No. Hello? Hello, you still there, Bruce? Yes, yes, I'm still here. Oh, look, I haven't got a single clue that points anywhere except a suicide. Okay, you've made your report. I want you to stay on the case. For how long? Until I tell you to quit, or until you tell me you're quitting. Okay. You're paying a hell of a price for what I think is plenty of nothing. I understand. You keep pitching, and I'll keep the money coming. Bye. Glad you heard, Larry. Yeah, I heard. He's convinced it's suicide. I'm glad you didn't tell him about Jenny's note. But I didn't because you didn't, and come to think of it, why didn't you? Because Jenny specifically wrote for me not to trust anyone. But you've already disregarded that bit of advice by telling me. What Bruce Brown said was true. But I hadn't told him everything. I hadn't told him that Jenny's favorite song was La Vie en Rose. Or that I felt Jenny was trying to tell me something about the diary and how to locate it. That's why I stood on the cobblestones outside René Pergamo's florist shop on the Rue Clichy just two days after I talked with Brown. Renée's window, with its usual bounteous and beautiful display, brought back memories. And as I stood there, René himself came rushing out. Monsieur Ducot, monsieur, may I express my condolences and shock at this sad news? When I heard, I could not believe. I know, René, thank you. Come inside. You're most welcome, mon ami, and expected. Expected? But of course. A few days ago, this little package arrived from Madame, addressed to you and marked, Hold for arrival. There are people who have actually died from fright. Medical testimony bears that out. The question in our tale seems to be, can fear actually drive a person to take his own life? A logical answer would be, some people. But would a woman like Jennifer Grinnell be driven to this act of desperation? We'll be back with the answer right after these messages. Come on, America, be fresh and that's the way. Have a glass of summer juice, any time of day. Hi, Anita Bryant here for Summer Juice. 100% pure orange juice from Florida. 100% pure, yet costing the same or less than many carbonated and synthetic beverages. Now that's pure value. Orange juice, America, summer. From the Florida Orange Grower. Now, what does anyone expect to find in a florist shop in Paris in the spring? Fresh cut flowers, certainly. The lovely scent of burgeoning spring plants and, of course, the undertones of romance which accompany the annual springtime awakening of the City of Light. But for Lawrence Duco, the florist shop of René Pergamo might hold the answer to a riddle. 
the proof that his glamorous wife did not take her own life. How long are you staying in Paris, Monsieur Ducot? Well, it depends, René, on what is in this package. Monsieur, let me assure you, if there is any way I can be aware of. Well, that's very fine of you, René. Let me get the door for you. These are not just words. Uh, oh, attention, monsieur, watch out. Hey, monsieur, Oh, well, let him go, René. But I won't forget that I'm even further in your debt. You know, he, he really might have hit me. It was almost as if he were trying. That is our Parisian drivers for you. Hop in, Ducot, quick. Jones, what are you... Come on, or we're going to lose that car that almost got you. You know, you're, you're talking like a man who believes that car really tried to run me over. It's a lot easier to believe that than your story that your wife didn't kill herself. Still, why would anyone want to rub you out? Because, perhaps, of this package. Ah, damn. You lost it. Uh, now, what's such a big deal about that package? It's my wife's diary. Complete up until the day of her death. tend to follow me wherever I go from now on? I think you need protection, Ducot. Maybe, but I can't afford your fee. Oh, don't let the fee worry you. I'm already being paid. Oh, a room service, please. Is your client paying for this, too? <laughs> of course. Oh, yes, uh, two special lunches, the filet of sole and a carafe of white wine to 731, Mr. Ducot's room. Thank you. If you've really got your hands on her diary, it might change a lot of things, but... Somehow, I never thought of Grinnell as the type would keep a diary. For once, we're in agreement, but... Uh, here it is. Do you recognize her writing? I'll take your word for it. But before you start to read it, think. No one, not even you, suspected she kept a diary. Maybe there are some things she didn't want anyone, I mean anyone, to know. Jones, you're a fool. I was married to Jennifer Grinnell for 23 years, and I knew her a lot better than anyone guessed. We're not going to find anything in this diary she'd be ashamed of. The years fell away, and memories came flooding back as I read the entries and found myself again under the spell she'd always cast for me. I could see her sitting in the small, cramped flat we'd had in Paris right after our marriage. I could smell her perfume and hear her as she wrote in the diary I never suspected she kept. And such foolishness today. Mutsi, my agent who adores me, has made an appointment for me with Anton Krasuski for the lead in Woman from Hell. I told Larry thinking we would laugh. But he thinks I should go. I told him I would. But I refuse to make a fool of myself. Jenny, Jenny, are you home? Larry! Uh, I will give you only one guess what we have for dinner. Did you go to but see... But a small clue, it is heaven. Well, what about Krasuski? Uh, did you like him? What did he say? Oh, he said I was a fat cow who would be fine as a milkmaid, but to play the lead in a picture as big as Woman from Hell... Oh, you're lying. <laughs> of course. I did not go. It would have only been a, a great waste of time. Yes. May I speak with Jennifer Grinnell? Who's calling? Anton Who is Krasuski. it? Your waste of time, Anton Krasuski. Now, young lady, you will tell me why you failed to keep an appointment with Anton Krasuski yesterday. Uh, may I have a light, please? Do you want the part? 
Are you offering it to me? It is your light. The part can be yours, depending. Depending? On how much you really want it. Why do you choose me, an unknown actress, dreaming of a career for the lead in the most important film of the year? Because I have seen your nightclub act. Because your insolence and your beauty are perfect for the part. Well, pardon me for being slow, but I thought there were other considerations. Only one. Join the Valpurgis Club. The Valpurgis Club. Hmm. And what is that? A club of witches? Exactly. It was a desolate house in the country, lit only by firelight and candles with weird music, and people drunk, not with liquor, but with some kind of frenzied belief in the magical power of the devil. As Krasuski took me through the various rooms, he watched, and then asked perceptively, You'll find this amusing. That disappoints you? Not at all. But I must warn you that this is literally playing with fire. <laughs> with hellfire? A most exact description. And now I would like you to see the altar. The altar is impressive. But I was more impressed with the worshippers. They believed... And people who believe as deeply as they did can be dangerous. Krasuski was most cordial today when I again visited his office. It is my belief that you were born a witch. I only wish to reawaken your slumbering destiny as I'm sure I can make the hidden fire in your eyes burst into flame with the proper caresses. No doubt. But just what plans do you have for me in the Valpurgis Club, if I should join? You will be a star. Believe me. The club has helped me in my career, and I know we can help you. I will do as I always have, help myself. What I was asking was, what does the club expect of me? Only to recruit members. And suppose I should fail? You fail? Unthinkable. But we are not monsters. As long as you sign the membership papers and are bound by our rules, you will find us most agreeable. Oh, you know enough about me to know that I like to make my own rules. Not in this game, Sherry. Not in this game. Ever. How can I tell Larry the truth? He smugly keeps reminding me that he was right about me getting the part in Woman from Hell. How I ache to tell him about the Valpurgis Club. But I cannot. And even if I did, he would just laugh and dismiss it as a silly joke on Krasuski's part. I must admit, I felt the same, but... There are certain things that worry me. As, for example, today, when we were rehearsing privately the scene where I shall carry you the tortures he will suffer in hell if he allows me to seduce him... No! No, no, it is all wrong. And uh, how many men have you seduced, Anton? You will listen to me because when this man takes you in his arms, he is doomed for all time. If you do not believe, how do you expect the audience to believe? This is your picture. And you are the woman I chose. 
a woman from hell would know. She would see immediately that this is a man who likes to suffer, who enjoys being tortured, so that he will have the best of both worlds, you in this and eternal punishment in the next. You know this and you are amused. I am not confused. Tell me, Anton, how do you know all this? Don't you know? I have a hotline directly to hell. I do not like it. I do not like it at all. But I cannot withdraw now and the picture promises to be a success. It is almost frightening, the knowledgeability that Anton shows about the workings of hell. I even accused him of it the other day during a break on the set. But why should you question my knowledge of witchcraft and diabolism? You and I belong to the same club. I am reaping the benefits of years of research. And your payment, Anton, for these benefits. How much is it and when is it due? I will tell you. Or perhaps you will know when the picture is finished. I loathe fidgety men And Anton has become extraordinarily fidgety He has also become a bore about other men He blames everything upon Hollywood And the Klieglet frenetic quality of our success But this is nonsense and he knows it When are you seeing him again? You mean Bruce? You are forgetting an obligation to the club to which we both belong. <laughs> I cannot help it if I am not a good saleswoman. Isn't that an understatement? Your record is immaculate. Not one convert to the Valpurgis Club since you became a member. Remember, I warned you about the possibility of my failing. I remember. And now it is I who have to warn you. Either Bruce Brown becomes a member... Or you will suffer severe consequences. <laughs> they overestimate my influence on Bruce. They know just how infatuated with you, Bruce is. And you have never really believed, have you, Jenny? And you won't until it is too late. However, we have a problem. We? Do you mean you, the club, or me? All of us. You remember Jacqueline Fournier? Of course. Then you may also remember that she was announced for the part that I gave you in Woman from Hell. Uh, must we go through this ancient history? I am afraid we must. You see, she has heard rumors about the Valpurgis Club. And she threatens to do a whole expose, claiming you got the part through witchcraft. Let her. The club does not think that would be wise. Then let the club stop her. That is just what they intend to do. Fournier can be appeased. With your influence, you could get her a part in a picture and she would be happy. I do not pay blackmail. I told them what your answer would be. But Jenny, for your own sake, get Bruce Brown to join the Coven. Hello? No. I thought you should know that Jacqueline Fournier met with a tragic accident. Her car ran off Mulholland Drive and crashed. She died almost instantly. Which, of course, 
Accidents can happen anytime, anywhere. And today, everyone knows what you mean when you designate a person as accident prone. On the other hand, would we be so willing to say someone was accident prone if we knew that a coven of modern witches wanted that person dead? That knowledge bothered even the strong minded Jennifer Grinnell. I'll be back shortly with Act Three. The following fable is presented to make you want to buy a Buick. As a girl, I had certain aspirations for myself that were not quite the same as the aspirations that others had for me. Daddy, when I grow up, I want to be president. That's nice, honey. Of what? The United States. Don't be ridiculous, dear. The best you can hope for is first lady. Even when I got older, things weren't much better. Dad, I want to go to law school and have my own practice. But, dear, wouldn't you rather go to charm school and have a big wedding? But today, a woman can do anything a man can. Take the car I just bought, a Buick Century. Not cute, but sporty and good-looking. The kind of car only men are supposed to know about. When I told my father the Century was the only American-made mid-sized car with a V6 engine, he was surprised. When I told him about the great deal I got on the Century, he was impressed and said, I would make somebody a good wife. Then when I told him I was running for Congress... He bit off the arm of his chair. Buick, dedicated to the free spirit in just about everyone. Radio, it's been doing nice things for you for years. It wakes you up. It keeps you company in your car. It fills your life with music. It fills your mind with ideas. It informs, entertains. And radio does something else. It sells. Quickly, easily, creatively, efficiently. Consider that last word, efficiently. As a businessman, you know how all costs, including advertising, have been skyrocketing. You know what adflation means. A major advertising agency has just reported that line rates for the largest metropolitan dailies in the top 50 markets rose 12% over the past year. But what about radio? The same study revealed the cost for buying radio in the top 50 markets increased only 3%. What else can you buy today that only costs 3% more than it did a year ago? Get radio selling for you. Call this station. We'll suggest ways radio can help you fight adflation. Furnished by Radio Advertising Bureau. One of the most famous and dramatic moments in the theater occurs in the play Peter Pan when the actress playing that immortal boy turns to the audience and asks them to applaud if they believe in fairies. Invariably, the house breaks into a storm of applause. However, would the audience response be the same if the actress asked for applause from those who believe in witches? That was precisely the problem that faced Lawrence Duco as he tried to prove that his wife didn't commit suicide. Her diary asked him to believe in witchcraft. Now, if you want to waste some more time, we'll continue reading the diary, but my advice would be for you to burn it. Less than two hours ago, you were all enthused over the chances of finding the answer to Jenny's death, and now... You're not thinking, chum. You started all this because you wanted to clear the stigma of suicide from your wife's name. And I still do. Even if you now brand her as a believer in witchcraft... 
a Wheeler dealer in the occult who built her whole career upon a deal with a coven of modern witches? I don't see that it has to be put just that way. And I'll make my decision when I've finished reading the whole diary. And so I reopened Jenny's diary and again found myself reliving those days when Jennifer Grinnell was Hollywood's biggest star. And I, her husband, was a forgotten man while her romance with America's favorite writer, Bruce Brown, headed the list of items in every gossip column. Hello? Jenny, it's me. I'll pick you up at the usual place at nine. Oh, that is not possible, Bruce. Why, what's up? <laughs> I thought we had gone beyond the question. Well, I thought so too, but that was before we stopped seeing each other. Or haven't we stopped seeing each other? More questions? I'll pick you up at nine. No, not tonight, really. Tomorrow? I suppose I owe you that much, love. You don't owe me a thing, and I'll explain when I see you tomorrow. Tomorrow will be the last time I see Bruce. It is something I have refused to face for too long now. But I am afraid I believe that the Walpurgis Club is an evil and vicious thing. If they are not witches with supernatural powers, then they are criminals. Because I cannot believe that Fournier's car crash was an accident. And I will not even talk to Bruce about joining. <sighs> Poor Anton. I must lie to him. Or maybe not. Maybe the truth would free him. Come in, Anton. Isn't that your phone? I hear ringing. Yes. Why don't you answer it? You know me better than to question me, Anton. I do what I choose. If I do not want to answer the phone, I do not. Because you know very well that was Bruce Brown calling, and you did not want to talk to him. So? You have deliberately broken off your relationship with him. And if I have? If you have, you have done something I have never known you to do since we met. You have broken your word. So I have. And it is about time you should find the courage to break yours also. Don't talk to me of courage. You could continue to see Bruce Brown and never bring up the question that he's joining the club. But that way you might get into trouble if the club members are really witches and warlocks. So you take this coward's way out and it ruins me. What can they do to you? For starters, they can take me off the picture. I will not allow them to do that. They have already done Will you answer the phone? What do they expect to gain by punishing you? First, discipline for the ranks. I was the one who recruited you. That was an error. Two, they think perhaps out of a feeling for me, you will change your mind about trying to recruit Brown. Ridiculous. Yes, I know. But you will suffer too. Just wait until you see the new director. At this point, I closed the diary. Jones looked at me inquiringly. Had enough, Duco? Now I understand what Anton Krasuski was trying to tell me. You went to see him. When? As soon as I heard he'd been taken off Jenny's picture and replaced by Luigi Ferrelli. You seem to be pretty buddy-buddy with a lot of your wife's lovers. Oh, we had a lot in common. Would you like to hear what happened when I went to see Krasuski? Well, I'm still on the case, and my report has to be written. Go ahead. 
Of course, you never knew Krasuski, so you wouldn't have noticed as I did the changes as I approached his house. It used to be crowded and well lit. And this night it was empty and almost deserted. I crossed the driveway, rapped on the door. Larry, come in. It is very nice of you to come and see me. What happened? Why did they take you off the picture? <laughs> they said they wanted a director who would be less dazzled by Jenny. Well, that's nonsense. Jenny's the star. You did two great pictures with her. Nevertheless, they seemed to be logical when they chose Farelli. Do you know any director who is less dazzled by Jenny than Farelli? He hates her. And she him. It almost seems as if someone wants to ruin Jenny and her career. And me, no? Here. Here. Look inside my forearm. Wait, wait till I roll up the sleeve. Now, tell me what you see. Uh, are you sure you're all right? Tell me what you see. Well, a small scar. It's shaped like a horseshoe or, or a hoof. That's right. Now ask Jenny. Ask her to show you hers. And that's when I walked out on him. Did you ask Jenny about her scar? No, I never did. When she broke her leg and was taken off the picture, it completely slipped my mind. And then... Oh, well, you know what happened then. Oh, everybody does. Your girl couldn't get herself arrested in Hollywood. She was finished in pictures. You don't know what that meant to Co, I am still interested in finding out what happened just before she died. And I think we ought to skip ahead in that diary and see if we can find out. Yes, you're right. Now, let's see. Sometimes she dated entries and other times not, so... Oh, yes. This one's dated just a month ago. And here's what she says. It has happened. I suppose I should have known that someday it would happen. But I really thought I was finished with the Valpurgis Club. So many years had passed. And no word from them. And so it came as a surprise when I did hear. And in a way I never would have expected... My agent phoned and told me that Tyler Campbell wanted to see me. I confess, I felt some of the old excitement of meeting a talented motion picture director. I've always been one of your greatest fans. Every scene in Woman from Hell is etched indelibly on my memory. I'll quote the dialogue for you if you like. <laughs> Would not you be embarrassed if I said please do? Uh, if you want my company, all you have to do is pay for it. If you want my love, you will pay more. A price that I advise you no one can afford. Oh, enough, enough, <laughs> I am convinced. Uh -huh. I can't understand why a talent like yours shouldn't still be working. Oh, I agree with you. And that's why I've come to see you. How do you feel about trying a comeback in a film I'll direct? Of course, I wouldn't expect a commitment until you'd seen the script. You haven't even asked what the film would be about. Well, I, I was not up to that in my mind. Mm -hmm. It's about witchcraft. Oh? Does that turn you off? Well, it, it is too soon to say. You know I don't do ordinary films, Miss Grinnell. Yes, I know. And I assure you, the film is well worth doing. Today, witchcraft is in. 
But I intend to use it somewhat differently. I see you as fate. Beautiful. Enigmatic. And inescapable. Uh, interesting. Good. I promise that I shall shoot you so that even in the cruelest close-up, your scar won't show. My... My scar? Don't tell me that that little mark inside your wrist is no longer there. Even plastic surgery won't eradicate it. And it's exactly the same as the one I have here, behind my ear. See? Yes, I see. So this was all a trick. You are a member of the Valpurgis Club. In good standing, Miss Grinnell. Which is more than I can say for you. But my offer to do a picture with you is very real. I am not interested. Too fast. You make a decision before you know any of the facts. We have nothing more to I say. I suggest you listen. If you think you've paid your dues in full, you're mistaken. You betrayed us. And you betrayed your oath. I am finished with you and with the club. And you will be. I promise you. Do one small favor. And you'll be a big star again. And no strings attached. How do you mean, no strings? You will be allowed to resign from the Valpurgis Club. The only member in its 300-year history to be given that privilege. I have already resigned. I have not been to a meeting or... What you have in mind does not necessitate your going to a meeting. You've heard of Jason Albright. <laughs> Who has not? He is the sixth or seventh richest man in the world. Mm -hmm. Did you know that Jason Albright is one of your greatest fans? No. He's worshipped you for years. How nice. Jason Albright is very ill. In fact, he's terminal. Well, that is too bad. My fan club will be reduced by one. True enough. But you can make a dying man very happy. Simply by talking with him. Visiting. Spending a little time with him. Are you out of your mind? Why would all I... Albright has no heirs. His will leaves all his money to various charities. But wills can be changed. I see. Of course. Simplicity itself. Nothing for you to do except spend a little time with Albright. Be your charming self and... And persuade the old man that the Valpurgis Club is worthier than all of his other charities put together. Precisely. Couldn't have put it better myself. Before you answer that, I have a feeling it will be Jason Albright. What? We managed to get word to him that you'd be receptive to a call. I see. Hello. Who is this? No. No, this is not Miss Grenell. She is not at home. She will not be in for some time. No, I do not know. Goodbye. That, Miss Grinnell, was very foolish. I want you to think carefully. Think what a small thing we're asking of you. And then consider the alternative. We can make things very definitely unpleasant for you, Miss Grinnell. Think it over. How long do I have to think? We can give you only 12 hours. 
and then we'll be here for your answer. What alternative do I have? I cannot go to the police, and I will not have anything to do with the club or its scheme. So, I turn to my diary and write. And I get an inspiration. I cannot go to the police, but I can hire a private detective to protect me without telling him why I am hiring him. And I remember I have heard of a good one. I will call him this minute. There, I feel better. I have called and he is on his way. I hope he is intelligent. And that may be too much to ask. But his name is... Don't bother, Duco. I know my name. You? You were the detective Jenny called. I'll take that diary now. <laughs> if you look closely at my wrist, you'll see the mark that her diary described so well. And now, of course, you understand why the cause of her death must remain a suicide. Now, I know there are some scholars in the audience who will say that Walpurgisnacht, the witch's Sabbath night, named after St. Walpurgis, is a fake. And the Walpurgis Club, therefore, must also be phony for the simple reason that St. Valpurgis was an English woman who never committed an evil deed in her life. I'll be back shortly with some more thoughts on witches and witchcraft. Witches and warlocks have been part of man's history and development since the beginning of time. And frightening demons and demonology abound in the history of civilization. And also in man's progress, scientists for years have solemnly announced that there are no demons, no witches. Then why do these myths persist? I think perhaps because we need them. If they really don't exist, then we'll invent them to answer this need. It's something to think about till next time. Our cast included Joan Lovejoy, Norman Rose, Mandel Kramer, Paul Hecht, and Nat Polan. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. E.G. Marshall. In the year 1692, an American town went mad, or at least that part of it known as Salem Village, beginning with accusations of ten young girls that a West Indian slave had bewitched them. Hysteria ran like a rabid dog through the village. Within four months, hundreds were arrested and tried, 31 of whom were hanged or burned, and one pressed to death with stones. 
And the man generally blamed for the hideously bigoted persecution of the innocent and the helpless was a name reviled in our history, Cotton Mather. Our mystery drama, Burn, Witch, Burn, was written especially for the Mystery Theater by Ian Martin and stars Howard Da Silva. It is sponsored in part by Anheuser-Busch Incorporated, Brewers of Budweiser, and Buick Motor Division. I'll be back shortly with Act One. When you say but, you've said a lot of things nobody else can say. A lot of things, like beechwood aging for 100% natural carbonation. That's how the Budweiser people age their beer. Nobody else does it that special way. But then nobody else is brewing the king of beers. I could tell you a lot of other things about Budweiser and why it's the largest selling beer in the world. But it all comes back to the Budweiser taste. And that speaks for itself. Loud and clear. Hear it talking? There is no one There's only something left. Because the king of beer is leading all the rest. When you say, At the time of the witch hunt, no man in our country was more feared than Cotton Mather. The picture of this dark, imperious, infamous man who led the persecution, who in his perverted zeal and fanatic puritanism saw men, women, and even children condemned on the flimsiest of evidence, who swept down from his Boston pulpit like a scourge, and whose blind conviction in his righteousness in the name of the Lord spread terror like a plague, is strangely... Oh, but then I should say no more. For what I was about to say is a large part of this story. Burn, witch! Burn! You should welcome the fires of hell, since he would not repent. The abomination of the body you defiled remains to be purified, while the flesh is consumed and returned to the earth and ashes. While the bones melt and run into the fire, sisters, brothers, let us lift up our voices in prayer. Let the mischief of their own deed fall on their own heads. Let hot burning coals fall on them. Let them be cast into the fire that they never rise again. The righteous also shall give thanks unto thy name, and the just continue in thy sight. Amen. 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 Now let ye all return to your homes and meditate upon the grace of our Heavenly Father, and return tomorrow, so that ye may see the other witch perish as she deserves. The fire has almost burned itself out. Yes, Judge Sewell. And the evil it ringed. Would it not have been more humane to hang her? Humane? Speak you about a witch? This is a pestilence whose deadly poison spreads as relentlessly as the pox itself. <sighs> this witchery business weighs heavy on my soul. Why? The women were both guilty in your mind, were they not? They were so found by a jury. Well, then, what choice had you? I don't know. 
The times are running at such fever, I cannot breast the tide even if I wanted to. What worries me most is that I cannot see an end to it. Or who will be next cried out against? The truth will ever out. Where the evil lies, the finger will point, and justice shall meet out the rest. Come, come, I, I must get to the tavern for a flagon of wine to cleanse the taste in my mouth. Who will you join me? Shortly, good judge. For the moment, I think my good offices may be needed by a young member of the cloth who appears to be ill. Know you him? The great hulking fellow in the long coat with a thick cape and the wide-brimmed hat? He is a papist, think you? Nay, nay, but near as bad. An Episcopalian, quite recently here from England. Were it not for his formidable strength and his skill as a blacksmith, he might have fared badly here in Salem Village. Go to the tavern. I shall join you shortly. I would speak with this young man. Do not anger him. He has superhuman strength. I am clothed in the Lord's armor. I have no fear, and I have no intention of angering him. I only want to help him. Have it your way. I shall meet you at the tavern. Shortly. I shall not be long. You appear in trouble, good sir. May I be of help? I can find no help, kind sir, except within myself. And from my God, I pray. The second with the strongest staff to lift you up. I speak as a man of God, as you are, I understand. I pray I still am, or can be, after what I have witnessed today. Have a care what you say. It has the reek of blasphemy. There is another kind of blasphemy in theology, sir. The crime of assuming to oneself the rights of God, as the people of this town have done. By trying a witch and burning her? Do you not believe, when the devil has taken possession, that the evil must be purified by fire or destruction of the diseased body and soul? I think there are other ways of casting out the devil. You were at the trial? All through the long horror of it. And you did not find these witches guilty? I found the evidence circumstantial and more than easy to comprehend two ways. I looked upon the face of that sweet young woman and upon the dignity and breathing of the older one, her grandmother, and I could see their innocence. What? Would you claim us wrong in our trial in judgment? Is it because you are not either a true colonist or of the true faith? As to being a colonist... This is my chosen country. I have left England behind me. As to the true faith, my religion is a matter I prefer not to argue. There are many faiths, but most of them lead to God. You are a strange young man. What is your name? Gilbert Caton. And may I ask yours? The Reverend Cotton Mather of Boston. You? If I'd been in my right senses, I would scarcely have passed the time of day with you. What does that mean? Turn around, sir, and look at your handiwork. A few smoldering ashes containing what, what once was the body of another human being. Are you proud of your work? I did not find this woman guilty. That was for the courts to decide. I believe in justice as firmly as I do in the threat of Satan. But where the fiend is proven to flourish, he must be stamped out. But where was this fiend and these women? What were they guilty of? I am but recently here from Boston. I am not familiar with all the transcript. But would you question the word of a man such as Sir John Jameson? Does his title give him immunity? The facts do that, Mr. Caton. That these women drew his body from his bed in the night, brought him by occult means to their cottage in the forest to try to lure him into lechery 
and original sin with the younger of the two witches? Is Sir John so good a man? Has he led so good a life? Is it not possible? Quiet, sir! You do yourself no service by even thinking such a thought. Have a care with your words, or fingers may go pointing your way. <laughs> Gad, I'd near given you up, Reverend Cotton. I believe you have the acquaintance of Sir John Jameson? Your servant, sir. The Reverend Cotton Mather. He needs no introduction to me or any man of goodwill. It was an honor to have you with us for the witch burning. You were not here for all the trial, I believe. No, just for the last day. Uh, it was with a heavy heart that I had to bring the charges. But the evidence was monumental. Is it not so, Judge? There was enough of it brought, but I cannot banish the woman's cries from my ears as the fire reached to her. Ah. And the face of the young girl we condemn to die tomorrow has troubled me for nights. Must we then, because of a round cheek and melting eyes, shrink from doing the Lord's bidding? Evil is the way of such a maid, and more to be dreaded than all the hags in Christendom. Strange rumors are afloat regarding her. This woman she called Granny, who was burned this morning, did pray not for her own life, but that the witch maid be saved. An uncanny thing that one witch should desire good to another witch. But if they were kin... Fool! Can you not perceive the work of the devil in this? The witch who died at the stake would have the other saved so that her own black spirit could pass into the fair young woman's form. And thus, with double force... The two could continue to wreak havoc on the world. For the sake and peace of the community, she cannot be destroyed too soon. I must go visit the prison. I wish to question her more closely. Question her? About what? The evidence has all been established? The factual evidence I care little for. That is and was the court's business. I wish to find out if she will recant, so that perhaps her soul might be saved. That would be a triumph supreme for me to accomplish in the name of the Lord. <laughs> Are you not somewhat aged for such a job, my friend Turnkey? <laughs> 81, going on 82. Just the man for the job. She don't get around me with any of her witch's blandishments. Are we near the cell? Uh, most there, your reverend lordship. Why? Let us all move as silently as possible. Is there a view hole in the door? Aye, there is. Good. Then I can look in on her and perhaps surprise her in some evil doing. Here it is. I'll open it soft. Can you see the harpy? Yes. Is she weaving some spell? No. She sits on the pallet knitting. Why, she's a frail little thing. Not much more than a child. All part of the enchantery. I was taken in myself. But she is tricks, all tricks, as I learned when she tempted me to ruin. Ah, very well. Jailer, let us go in. As your lordship desires. Hey, my little she-devil. Here's two gentlemen of quality to see you. One is of no quality. I know him only too well. The other, I believe I recognize as the Reverend Cotton Mather. You may leave us, jailer. But wait outside. Yes, sir. It is true. I am who you say. And what would you have with me, sir? 
I have come to pray with you, Luna Claire, and to exhort you to confession. There is no confession. I am no witch. Will you kneel with me in prayer at least, daughter? I cannot, sir. Why not? I am not of your persuasion. Do you believe in God? Oh, yes. Then we have that in common and can try to pray and wrestle the demon from your bosom. No. You do not wish to be delivered? Obstinate of heart I may be, but Sir John holds me from prayer. I cannot kneel in company with him. I prithee, Sir John, go outside and stand in the corridor. We shall see if the witch maid, relieved of your presence, will pray. I had hoped to listen on the chance that she should confess so that I might make some valuable notes. The Lord granted me a ready pen. I shall make my own notes if it be necessary. If you will excuse us, Sir John. You have only to command, Pasta, and I to obey. If you should need help of any kind, I shall be just beyond the door. Let us kneel together, my daughter, and pray to God. Minister? Yes? What shall I pray for? My life? That I may be delivered from the burning and death? Your death is already ordained by the court. We pray for you to recant. Your body cannot be saved. The only hope is to find God's mercy on your immortal soul. On the stone-cold floor, the slight figure of the maiden, a girl not yet in her twenties, sways and sags at the harsh dictum of the man beside her. He, Cotton Mather, kneels ramrod straight. His voice rasps as he speaks aloud unending platitudes, devoid of hope. Beside him, the maid prays to herself, the tears running down her pale cheeks. There is talk of God and the right and goodness and light, but not one trace of pity here. I shall return shortly with Act Two. Isn't it nice to know you're free? To see the things you want to see To touch the heights you dare to reach To know you're all that you can be In the free spirit department, Buick's midsize 1976 Century has a lot going for it. Efficient size, lots of room, neat things like that. But Century offers bonuses. It's a Buick, remember, which says one heck of a lot about how nicely it takes care of you. And Century does something for the sake of practicality that no other American midsize car does. It comes with a V6 engine and a Buick V6 at that. Century, the spirit will move you. The spirit Buick on the wings of John's attitude outside the jail cell is less unconcerned than it seems. He paces only a short stretch of the passageway, always within earshot of the endless prayer from the cell. The full-voiced exhortations of the minister he pays little heed to, but he stretches his ear to the fullest for any whisper from the maid. In the name of the Father, 
and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. You do not even say amen. I beg your worship's pardon, but I am not familiar with your prayers, and I do not understand the God you pray to. You refuse to recant? How can I recant? I'm innocent. I beg of you, sir, to listen to what I was not allowed to say in court, and you will understand that neither Granny nor I had... Sir John? Aye, Reverend Mother. You may return. I uh, request your favor, sir, but I believe I heard that your prayers had ended. Mine, sir. The witch maid was not moved to pray. I suspected as much. Tell me, daughter, what you were about to reveal as Sir John came in. Oh, I... With him here, it's difficult, Minister. Answer, his honor, witch! (laughs) Tell him about Giles Corey, the old yeoman who saw you conversing with Satan in the forest near your house. If it was Satan that I was in converse with that night, then he was in your shape. And well, your lordship knows, the old man was frightened by your threats into lying and saying it was a black fiend, which you might as well be, seeing your purpose there. Silence, woman. I was not there, could not have been, since all my household has testified that I was safe at home in bed and asleep. But if one lies, all lie to save their skin. For surely they are more afraid of your power than the devil's. Maid, you go too far. Have a care with your tongue. Hear me, mistress, I threaten you this. If you do not confess your unholy wickedness, you shall not be even accorded the mercy of being hanged. Instead, you will be burned alive. Or perhaps, or perhaps, hand and feet tied together. We shall lay you on the ground while the villagers shall come and heap stones upon stones until the life is driven out of your body and you are pressed to death. Oh, no, merciful God, please. And I, I, whom you have afflicted, shall count each one as it falls. I shall myself drop the first stone. And I... When that first stone strikes me, God in his mercy will take me to himself. You can count the stones the others throw, but I shall never know how fast they fall. Now let us use all zeal to our ends, but let us deal in compassion as far as it is compatible with justice. To do any living thing unwarranted torture is a reflection on our manhood. One last word. Will you confess at last that you are a witch? I cannot confess. What is not true? Come then, Sir John. Let us leave her to ready herself for death. Ah, this November wind whistles through the bones. It will snow soon. I welcome the walk and the wind to blow some cobwebs from my mind. You are troubled by something? This affair savors ill. Her last cry awoke strange feelings, and my heart turned within me. You are a man of God and compassion, but have a care. Her powers of enchantment are strong and wicked. If only I could have reached her. No one can do that. Perhaps. Perhaps not. You intend to return to question the girl again? No, let her rest in what peace she can find and the little life left to her to lead. Ah. Are you then for your room as soon as we reach the inn? No, I have an errand I must pursue. I have my coach at the inn yard. I should be honored to take you anywhere you desire. Thank you. 
but I prefer to travel on this one by myself. Master Mather, what brings you here? I wish to ask you a question, Master Caton. Will you enter? No, thank you. I've not even hitched my horse. I have other riding to do. Then ask your question. Were you aware that the witch maid who is to die is an Episcopalian? Yes, I was aware. Then that prompts others. Why did you not go to her to bring her comfort or to help her cleanse her soul? I would have gone to bring her comfort, but they barred me from entering the prison. If I arrange it so you can enter, will you go to her? With all my heart. Why do you extend her this comfort, convinced as you are that she is a witch? I have failed to bring her comfort myself or release from bondage. Perhaps because we are of different denominations, that is of no matter. I shall ride now to the prison and have all preparations made that you may visit her this evening. It wants but an hour until dark. Wait one hour beyond that to make sure you will be passed in. May God go with you. Comings and goings over a little snip of a girl whose heels might as well be dancing in the wind and snow already. It sounds as though you were already celebrating this spectacle. Well, a man has little enough to amuse him with winter upon us. Here, when you come out, do you lock up tight behind you and bring me the key in the common room. It's too cold to wait upon you priests and your eternal preaching in these freezing halls. In you go. You, a witch, visitor, I see you. Who? Who is it? Give me the torch, turnkey. How, how am I to find my way back to the common room? Tis known ground for you. Feel your way, if not else. Uh, How could I, a stranger, find my way without one? Lord of mercy. Well, let me hold it then a moment till I find my way to the stairs. Go then, and hurry. Have no fear. The cold will move even my old bones like the young. And so. Are you... Are you come to torture me? Hi. Look at me in the torchlight. Can you not recognize I am of the clergy? God be with you. I am of your persuasion. Oh, at least God has answered one of my prayers. Oh, my daughter, do not crouch on the floor. Come to me so that I may comfort you. I, I want to, Father, but this chain about my leg... <gasps> my poor fettered bird. Rest where you are as I come to you. Oh, my dear Lord. Lord. You are frozen with cold. And you are warm. A moment. Let me let me brace the torch here in the sconce. Now, my heavy cape off and let me wind it about you. Oh, let me touch your hand. Let me feel once again some human warmth. Let us sit on the pallet and I will hold you in my arms with the cloak about us. Oh, you're warm. And you've brought light and companionship. How can they call so sweet a creature of God a witch? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm only a maid. I'm so scared. And are you really an Episcopalian priest? Ordained in England at Healy. I come here for new worlds to conquer and to help tame a savage land. To make my life, my home, my family someday. 
and cold welcome you'd get from the Puritans. <laughs> they are not all so bad as they are sometimes painted. And I am young enough to wait out their welcome. How could... How could they have condemned you as a witch? I don't know. First they said Granny was a witch. And I lived with her. Did your grandmother practice magic arts? Well, she knew about herbs that helped to heal. And she could make poultices that drew out pain. And salves that she rubbed in with her hands that brought relief to others. Is that wicked? I cannot see why. Who taught her these things? She learned them long ago from a nurse she had. Who learned them from a gypsy. My grandparents were very rich with a large estate. But the Indians attacked them. And killed my mother and father and, and everyone. And only Granny and I were left. And she was always a little queer after that. I mean, she wouldn't live in a town, only in the country. She was very good to me, and and we were happy enough until Joseph, the, the one servant that we had left, died. How long ago was that? Um, a few years. I, I, I don't remember exactly now. We buried Joseph, and then Granny said we must leave the house and start walking to the coast. Why to the coast? To take a boat for England. To my uncle. And we never did reach the boat. We stopped in a little house in the woods near here, and Granny was ill for a long time, and the rent was not cheap. At last the money was gone. And then Granny made some money with her healing. And she was also a, a midwife until... The... I, I was at the trial. I know that testimony. Someone had a child born that was not... not quite right. Yes, Sir John Jameson's daughter. That's what started it all. Oh, burn me. burn me. Are you kind? Are you human? Cannot you save me from them? No, first, first tell me one more thing. You mean from Sir John? Yes. He is the devil himself. You paid him rent all these years as you grew into a beautiful woman? Yes. And, and then you had no money? He, he threatened to throw you out unless... He, he talked of being possessed by the devil. He, he was the one who wanted to... to possess me. He was the devil. And you were willing to be possessed? And, and, and when the child... when that awful thing happened... He said that he would point to Granny as a witch, and me, too. He came to the house that awful night. <laughs> I told him I'd kill him and then myself if he tried to touch me. Oh, my poor child. Oh, please, please. I don't want to be burned. Can't you save me somehow? Save me your, somehow. Your soul? I, I do not believe that needs saving. No, no, me. My body. Or if you can't, kill me here with your own hand. I do not fear death. I have nothing to live for. I fear only torture. Save you. Don't. Save you if, if it were possible. But for what? Afterwards, to, to be hunted, pursued, retaken? Don't kill me. No, no, never. Now, now that I have, I have found you. Father. Please. No, hush. Hush, little one. Not father. Not to you. Gil. Gil. And I am Luna. Luna. 
Now, then you will swear to do everything I tell you. You think there is a way? There is hope. There is always hope. And I think, I think there is a way. Yes, I think there is a way if only God will smile on us. A man and a maid. And under the most harrowing and desperate of conditions, from the blackness of adversity, nurtured by the strength of their faith, the first seeds of love are planted in both hearts. But can this compassionate and tortured young man free this ill-starred maid? And even having done so, where can they find safety or sanctuary? I'll return shortly with Act Three. Mr. John Schmidlap at the Midtown Bank. Hi. About the check you wrote to the uh, Lincoln Savings Bank for 5712? Yes, sir. I'm afraid you have insufficient funds Insufficient to... funds? There was exactly $57.12. Yes, but you know, there's a $2 monthly charge when your balance is below $500. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've been paying it for years. That's why I'm switching to the Lincoln. See, they don't require any minimum balance. We can give you a special low-balance account with us for only $0.10 cents a check. Look, I'm really sorry about this, Mr. Schmidlap, but at the Lincoln, I can write all the payment orders I like, free. I'll send you one for the $2. Payment orders? Yeah, just the same as your checks, my name on them and everything, but at the Lincoln, they're free. And money I don't need for bills stays in my savings account, earning maximum interest. Oh, you have to keep a big balance in a savings account. <laughs> nope. No minimum balance in my savings account, either. Hey, Mr. Schmidlap, why don't you check it out for yourself? Their number is 782 the Lincoln Savings Bank, member FDIC. Let's hear it from Martin Payne! We've got decorative lumber, lighting fixtures galore. We've got tiles and bulbs and brushes. We've got covering for the floor. Rollers, paints, and spackles, wall covering till you'll faint. Martin's Home Decorating Sanders, it ain't just paint. You can still decorate in time for the holidays and save. Today through Saturday, it's Martin's half-price paint sale. Pay only half price for a special selection of Martin's wall paints, ceiling paints, porch and deck paints, kitchen and bathroom enamels, all at half price. Buy Goodyear self-stick floor tiles, 45 cents each tile, in-stock pre-pasted wallpapers, 50% off regular prices. Cushion soft bathroom seats, only $9.99 each. We've got decorative lumber, lighting fixtures galore. We've got tiles and bulbs and brushes. We've got covering for the floor. Rollers, paints, and spackles, wall covering till you'll faint. Martin's Home Decorating Centers, it ain't just paint. What do you give someone special for Christmas? New Year's Eve. A fantastic overnight 24-hour New Year's Eve party for two at the elegant St. Moritz Hotel on fashionable Central Park South in New York. Just about the perfect Christmas gift at a rare price of $65 per couple. Now listen to what you'll give. A deluxe double room starting the afternoon of the 31st. Dinner in the delightful Café de la Paix with a full bottle of iced champagne. Piano entertainment. Hats, horns, a sparkling celebration in bubbly St. Moritzy style. And New Year's morning, continental breakfast at Rumpelmeyer's, one of New York's most delectable traditions, or breakfast in bed. And 3 p.m. checkout New Year's Day. Just $65, all taxes and tips included. Make arrangements today by telephone to give and get the Christmas gift of the year. New Year's Eve overnight party at the St. Moritz. Call PL5-5800, that's PL5-5800. Ask for Miss Park. 
In the dim, dank, freezing cell, Gil Caton stands with the torch held on high, his eyes searching, his mind racing, a wild plan formulating in his mind. Frustrated at the very outset by the leg iron which binds Luna to the wall, she sits huddled in the blessed warmth of the heavy cloak, watching this man who has become the center of her universe, secure in her heart that he will find a way to save her. The first problem is the leg iron. Once, once I get you to my house, I, I have forge and anvil and, and tools to cut it away. The wall. The wall is the only hope. But the ring is buried in the masonry. Oh, not quite. In the mortar. Between the stones. Now, here, hold the torch. I can, I, I can brace my feet against the wall. And pull it out. The Lord must have had some reason to bless me with this extra strength. Sweat is starting from your brow. God, no matter. If this ring starts from the wall once more. Oh. Oh. You pulled it out. You pulled it out. That's more than human strength could do. Never underestimate the power of prayer. Now, now listen to me, Luna. Yes. You must trust me to the uttermost. Now, let me lift you and see how heavy you are. A feather. It can be done. What can be done? I'm going to put you on my back and carry you out of the prison beneath my cassock. Oh, I see. And, and I'll be very still. Forgive me now, but you must take off your frock. My frock? We must arrange it in the corner with a, a stuffing of straw to look like you. Oh, of course. I'll do that. While I take off my sash and cassock. Oh, if I can just arrange it so they'll believe it to be me, it might give us more time. <gasps> what is it? What have you done? Oh, I just slipped my cassock all the way from below the waist to the neckband to, to make room for you. How clever you are. Adversity sharpens the brain. Now, now, quick. Now, climb on the stool. So, now, arms around my neck. Yes. First, now, the cassock. Help me slip it over our heads. Oh, that's fine. Fine. Room for us both. Now, to help support you, I, I bind my sash tight around us both. Oh, too tight? Can you breathe? Right. Now, I must lock the cell door. There. I must douse the torch. The more we are in darkness, the safer we are. I trust in you and your strength and your belief. And in the Almighty. A jailer! Jailer! Oh! God! Tanky! What to do? Is it the pasta? Where's your light? The witch has blown it out and left me in the darkness. I had to lock her back in the cell against the danger to us all. Damn me if I'll come down again in this blackness. You say you locked the cell? Is she secure? As secure as she can be. Well, then, find your own way up in the shadows to the prison door. The light there is poor. It's just what I wanted. Now, if you ever prayed, my little one, pray now. Freedom is just a few short steps away. Ah, whither away so late in the evening, Master Matha? You still at the inn, Sir John? I should have thought you were ridden home by now. I, uh, 
I had some business on my mind. I should have thought you might be abed. I've been in my chambers reading the transcript of the trial, which my friend Judge Sewell was kind enough to make available to me. Why would you wish to read all that? The thing is fait accompli. There are some questions I would ask the maid, and I, I feel in duty bound to make some last attempt to see if she has repented. Then you go to the prison. This moment. I shall be glad to drive you there. No. No, I ride there myself. Nor do I think you should go near her again. For some reason, you inhibit her. As you say. But the visit is useless. By law, the die is cast, and she will hang or burn tomorrow. I have no power to free her body. I still may have hope to free her soul and bring her comfort. Good night, sir. Are you all right? Do you want rest? I All the luck. If I can just make the shadow of the tree. Brother Caton, is it not? Oh, why, yes. Yes, Master Mather. I thought I recognized that giant bulk, even in the shadows. By Harry, you seem even larger than I remembered. Oh, just the, the bulk of my cape. Are you from the prison? Why, yes. Did you see the maid? Yes. Did she recant? No, sir. She will never recant. Because she is innocent. A matter of opinion, we shall see. You are bound for the prison. I am. I, uh, I beg you in the name of him we worship in our own ways to disturb this wretched girl no further. She is mercifully asleep now. Leave her the last few hours in peace in the name of compassion and humanity. I had certain questions for her, but if... But let God ask them when, when she is sent to face him tomorrow. Well, we shall see. If she be asleep, perhaps I will not wake her. Good night, Master Caton. Oh, what misfortune... Hold fast. We must make all haste now and hope all is not lost. Oh, oh. oh forgive me. It's just that time may be so important. Oh, any hurt is worth being free. Strike away. Try the file now. And once my fetters are off, what then, Gil? Oh, I don't know. The hue and cry will be raised all over this bloody town. We've just gone mad. I have no horse to give you. I had hopes, perhaps, by boat. But I have neither money nor contact to see you safe away. It must be on foot. But, but be of good faith. Somehow the Lord will provide. How can I ever thank you with all that I feel in my heart? Oh, just let me see that smile break across your lovely face and it will be thanks enough. Strange way to meet the man I dreamed of. Hush. You're almost through. I cannot eat more. You must eat as much as possible. You can carry a little with you. We must find you some clothes to wear. What? Good Lord, not so soon. Don't let them take me. In, into the bedroom, quick. Now, if I cannot turn them back, I can hold them back. Now, take my cape. It has what money I have in the pockets. Now, go by the window and, and try to make for Providence. There's an Episcopalian church there where you will be safe. I will not go without you. You must, you must save yourself. Oh, my place is at your side. I'll never love any other man but you. Nor I. Now, go to quickly to the bedroom. Perhaps, perhaps God is with us yet. I'll be listening and praying. 
Oh, forgive my tardiness, but I was at my devotions, sir. You will pardon my intrusion, I hope. Do I speak to Mr. Gilbert Caton, the parson here? You do? Uh, dare I beg a few minutes of your valuable time, sir? I am trying to trace my mother and my young niece. My name is Clare, Leonard Clare of Clare Hall, County Devon. My father had a large estate west of here, which was attacked by Indians. All of my family were killed, save my mother and niece, who I am told escaped. Since I arrived but lately in this country, I have only now, with tolerable certainty, traced them to this district. Uh, the town authorities claimed no knowledge of them, but since they were of the Episcopal faith, deemed that you might know something. Come in, sir. Come out of the cold. Thank you. Thank you. You have horses. Your horses and a coach, yes. Well, then you must fly this minute. Huh? Fly? The people of Salem burned your mother as a witch. Huh? I saw her burn. Huh? Outside there, in the market. Oh, good Lord. They have fixed the burning of your niece for tomorrow. There is to be a holiday, so the folks may revel in the sight. To burn my niece, Luna? And you have the temerity to ask Leonard Clare to fly with her. Luna! Oh, oh heaven be praised. Oh, oh, Leonard. Luna, Luna, my baby. Ah, my brother's baby. Oh. What have they done to you? Nothing yet that can't be repaired. But there is no time. Oh, no, no. Master Mather. Do not be alarmed. I come here in amity, not in enmity. You? I shall explain in a moment. May I meet the gentleman before I speak? This is Luna's uncle. Leonard Clare of Clare Hall, Devon, now of the colonies. And I promise you, a man of resources, a man well able to afford to fight the persecution of this town and its shame, and all your power and evilness. I would advise you not to try, sir. No, hear me out. As to my motives, my honesty, my devotion to the God I believe in, and my determination to wipe out witchcraft, I will not bandy words. I do what I believe to be right. And let history be the judge. Your name will go down in it as a stench in the nostrils of any humane man. So be it. I follow where I am called. Tonight, profoundly troubled after rereading the transcript of this child's trial and her grandmother's, perforce I could come to only one conclusion. A tragic miscarriage of justice had already been done. Another was about to occur. I went to prison determined to free the maid myself and to offer her my protection against the wild riot which would follow on her release. That was when we met you on the road. Yes, sir. You tried to put me off. I can see why now, but God directed my footsteps there. I must tell you that her absence had been discovered before I even arrived, and that the mob is gathering all the roads out of this town will be closed to everyone. They cannot stop me. They will, unless you have safe conduct. I suggest you get your niece into the coach post-haste, and yourself draw the curtains... And I'll conduct you and your men through the mob. I will not go without you. The least I owe you for saving Luna's life. You had best join them, Master Caton. When that drunken jailer wakes up to remember you saw her last, you'll be torn limb from limb. It is a good bargain, a life for a life. Ah, and you, sir? I have no fear for mine. And I have much work to do. For all his title and position, Sir John Jameson must be brought to book for his crime against you and yours. I shall see that he is. And perhaps I may need one small breath of perfume to dilute that stench my name is to leave in history.
account you have heard is a fictional one. It is a somewhat sad thing that Cotton Mather is painted as black as he is. Even in his obsession against witchcraft, he was a scrupulous defender of all he thought unjustly accused. He was a scholar, in some sense a scientist, and for all he was a fanatic, it was without thought of personal gain. He was also a family man, and perhaps would have allowed himself one frosty smile of pleasure at the outcome of this whole affair. I shall return shortly. The madness at Salem was of short duration, and the good people of that unfortunate town soon returned to their senses. Gil Caton and his wife Luna did not return, mostly because of tragic memories, but also because the first of a long line of little Catons was well on its way. They were married in Rhode Island, one of the colonies most noted for its freedom of thought, and lived out a long and happy life together, nurturing their own children and that other larger group of children, the congregation of Pastor Gil Caton's church, which flourished in all good things, temporal as well as sacred. And so, amen. Our cast included Howard Da Silva, Marion Seldes, Kurt Peterson, William Redfield, and Court Benson. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. Radio Mystery Theater was sponsored in part by Buick Motor Division and Anheuser-Busch Incorporated, Brewers of Budweiser. This is E.G. Marshall inviting you to return to our mystery theater for another adventure in the macabre. Until next time, pleasant dreams. Have a good evening and come back again next week. This has been Bill Holwick from West Texas for Broken Sea Audio Productions. www.brokensea.com Good evening. Good evening. The music for tonight's episode was composed by Brian of Seraphic Panopoli and Stevie Farnaby. 